If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hey, everybody. Today, Rado Talks through episode 44 of the podcast. And this one is going to be all games all the time. I am going to talk about, if all goes to plan, 102 games in this episode. And that is so many games that I'm afraid there won't be time for anything else. No top 10 revisits and sadly, no Q&A. Now, as it happens, I wouldn't be able to do the Q&A anyway because Jen is gone. She's heading down to Southern California for a week to to hang out with her sister and her kids. They're going to go to oh, Harry Potter World. She's going to visit her mom. All kinds of stuff. And I'm stuck here talking with you folks. But that's okay. We're going to have a good time. And Jen will be back next month. We will get back to normal. And as always, if you have any questions, hey, if you want to hear about the Harry Potter theme parks, send them to question at rotto.com and we'll be covering them next month. But this month, this is basically going to be me talking about the 102 games and expansions that I know of as of today, that should be coming out in 2019. This is basically to coincide with my release of my 2019 Games of Interest Geek List, which you can follow along with throughout the year. In fact, you can go on ahead and jump to it right now if you have a computer in front of you and you want to look at the list while I'm going through things to see at least what the box art looks like on these games. And, of course, it's the Geek List that I continue to update throughout the year, and you always hear about my updates to it on upcoming podcasts, which is is why for the first episode of the year, I just put 102 games on there. So let's get going right after this. Okay, everybody. So are you comfortable? Do you want to hear about all these games? Alrighty, here's the way it's going to go down. I'm actually starting on page two of the geek list, which is where I begin an alphabetical, or mostly alphabetical list of a whole bunch of games. So I'm just going to go through them one at a time. And after that, I'm going to go through an alphabetical, or mostly alphabetical list of a bunch of expansions that should be coming out. And then after that, I am going to spend a little bit of time on several games that I have already filmed run-throughs or rundowns for because they were on Kickstarter in 2018 and should be coming out in 2019. And after all of that, who knows how long all that's going to take, I am going to end with an actual countdown. The 25 most anticipated games. And you may have already seen that because I've already put that top 25 up on my YouTube channel. It went up uh, you know, at the beginning of New Year's Day. So if you've already seen it, you don't need to listen to that part at the end because uh, there's not going to be anything new. I'm just including it because I was recently informed and shocked to discover that there are some people out there that don't actually watch my YouTube show, but actually only listen to the podcast. That is amazing and mind-boggling to me. And so I want to make sure all of those folks get to hear uh, the, the whole list as well. So anyway, that's what we'll top it off with. But enough talking about it. Let's start doing it. Uh, beginning with the letter A. 
and A stands for Adventure Games. This is a new series of escape room style games that are going to be coming from Cosmos, who have already given us a whole bunch of games in the Exit series. And for a lot of people, the Exit games are the best iteration of escape room in a box style things. But these are going to be very, very different. There's two of them that have been announced. Adventure Games The Dungeon and Adventure Games Monochrome AG. Both of them, first of all, the for me, the most important thing about them, both of them are designed by a really interesting duo, Matt Dunstan and Phil Walker-Harding. Uh, you know, Matt Dunstan is one of the co-designers of Elysium, one of my favorite card games of all time. And, uh, you know, he's also an excellent Pioneer Day. Scorpius Freighter came out last year. Matt's got a lot of really great Euros, uh, kind of more medium weight. And Phil Walker-Harding is kind of known for lighter, more gateway Euro-y style games, Baron Park, Sushi Go, Gizmos. These two guys have an incredible pedigree, and the two of them coming together not to make a Euro, but to make an interactive, puzzly, narrative-driven adventure game is very, very interesting to me. And also, the existence of this new series from a publisher that already has a very well-established and very popular series of escape rooms I think it just goes to show these escape room. Well, I think first of all we got to stop calling them escape rooms because there are they they've proven to be hugely popular because you know they're very low cost and it makes sense for publishers to make them because they're kind of consumable. You finish it and then you just can't play these over and over again. You've got to go out and buy the next one when they come out. I mean, Time Stories from Space Cowboys uh, actually kind of spearheaded this whole movement before we started getting Unlock and Escape Room in a Box and all the other ones. Anyway, I'm thinking we need to come up with a new term for these. We can't call them Escape Room games anymore, especially because, uh, like last year's... What was it called? It was called... Escape Tales, I believe. The Awakening, which is another new series that really focused even more on the puzzles. It focused on the narrative, pulling everything together... Uh, that's what Adventure Games plans to do, too. I mean, they're getting... I mean, I mean, there are so many different ways to skin this cat. I'm going to talk about a couple other ones later on in this podcast. They all owe their origin to the old classic PC, you know, uh, point-and-click adventure games. You know, like Full Throttle or or uh, King's Quest or something like that. I think we need a new term because we're getting away from just trying to emulate escape rooms. I don't know what that term is. Um... But we need one because more and more of them are going to be coming out. And so far, they have all been awesome. One Another thing that makes adventure games step out from the crowd is, though, because they're kind of jettisoning the baggage of escape rooms, there's no timer. This is supposed to be a more relaxed, laid-back, hey, this is going to take you an hour and a half or so. Just have fun exploring this adventure, trying to get out alive, solving some puzzles, but talking to people, uh, having interactions, having encounters. All that kind of stuff that takes it beyond just a random, motley assortment of puzzles. And that's why I'm excited for Adventure Games, The Dungeon, and Monochrome AG. Next up, we've got Carnival of Monsters. And sadly, this was on my list last year, and it didn't make it. Uh, in fact, actually last year, I think it made my top 25. My enthusiasm is waning. Come on, guys, get it out this year. It's from designer Richard Garfield. You know, Mr. Magic the Gathering. Um, you know, Mr. King of Tokyo. Mr. Robo Rally. So, you can't really touch. You can't top that design pedigree. 
Uh, the the subject matter is it's a card drafting game where players are the cards represent monsters that players are trying to capture and put in a carnival. And like I said last year, I'm a little bit iffy. I don't know. I guess it's just the SJW in me. I you know the notion of capturing innocent creatures and putting them in cages so they can be on display just kind of makes my skin crawl a little bit. But uh, even if they are monsters, it's kind of immaterial. I just don't like that. But on the other hand, it is Richard Garfield. And more importantly, two years ago, Tom Vassell, or maybe it was in three years ago now, raved about this. He, I mean, uh, he wanted to make it part of the Dice Tower Essential line. He broke his own rule and did a video for it when it was on Kickstarter because by that point he had swore off doing it, but he did it for this. So I expect the gameplay is going to be really, really, really good. And um, so, like I said, it's no longer in my top 25 because I've always had kind of a skin-crawly kind of feel about it, but I want to check out this gameplay. So, that's where we are with Carnival of Monsters. After that, we've got Carnival Zombie. Now, I actually did a run-through for this years ago, uh, because the first edition came out. It was, uh, it was a modest success, and uh, I'm speaking of the Dice Tower, I remember they really raved about it too. Jen, I thought it was very, very cool. Uh, this notion of during a, uh, a festival in the city of Venice, in kind of a timeless city of Venice. It's kind of modern day, but kind of not really. Uh, an elder god awakens and threatens to sink the whole city, and players are trying to get out before the whole city sinks, and dealing with wave after wave after wave of zombies. It's a cooperative game, and it had some really awesome mechanisms. Because you basically are playing two different games. Uh, a tower defense game at night when the zombies come for you, and an exploration adventure game during the day when you're trying to find your way out of the city. Really neat stuff. And our only problem with it at the time was, man, it was crazy long. Plus, there were some really just obnoxious production issues that made the game a bit more unpleasant than it should have been. Well, anyway... I know the developers of it have been working on a second edition for years. I know this because I've had a prototype of the second edition for like literally two years. I have carried it halfway across the world. They sent it to me in Malta because they thought they were going to get it on Kickstarter two years ago. And I carried it to England. I carried it here. They assure me this is the year. It's Kickstarter is going to launch. I will finally do a run-through and see what's new. They promise a whole bunch of changes. A shorter, faster game, higher quality production. Definitely an overall big improvement on a very deserving, very sharp, cooperative game, Carnival Zombie. Then, let's move on to The Cartographers, a role-player tale. Now, this is another game uh, set in the high-fantasy role-player universe. Last year, we had one that was on Kickstarter, which was about breaking out of a prison, and you were trying to run uh, prison gangs and stuff like that. Let's see, what was it? Oh, Lock Up, a role-player tale. I did a run-through for that one. It was on Kickstarter. Apparently, um, now we're going to have Cartographers, a role-player tale. So, the publisher um, of role-player, which is a completely different style of game. Uh, you know, it's a very neat, puzzly, dice-drafting game. Uh, Thunderworks clearly loves their role-playing fantasy, role-player fantasy universe. And so, they are going to be setting more and more completely different styles of Euro gameplay in this universe. Cartographers is interesting because it's a roll-and-write. Uh, um, I think it's a roll-and-write. I'm not sure about the rolling, but I know it's writing. Because we are literally cartographers in this game, taking pen to paper and drawing maps. And whoever does the best map of the kingdom wins. I like that idea a lot. Uh, because 
I mean, roll and writes tend to be kind of abstract. If they do this right, this could be the most thematically grounded abstract because we're literally doing, we're literally writing a map. And that's our literal job, as if we really were these fantasy characters trying to map the kingdom. So it could be great. I am very interested in that. Um, like I said, I like Thunderworks titles, and I, I, I want to see this world continue to evolve because I love high fantasy, and that's why Cartographers, a role player's tale, a, a role player tale, because it's the role player universe, is uh, on my list. After that, we've got Chocolate Factory. All righty. Uh, this one I was lucky enough to see at the UK Games Expo last year. I didn't get a chance to play it, but I saw a prototype of it and they kind of walked me through it. Uh, this is from Matt Dunsden again and Brett Gilbert, the, 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 Co-designers of Elysium, again, one of my favorite card games of all time. So if ever these guys are going to get together, I am interested. Elysium earned that um, that position and admiration for me. But Chocolate Factory looks nothing like Elysium. This is a, uh, a kind of an economic manufacturing simulation where the main thing is that we are running the literal Chocolate Factory, which has an assembly line. And you are pushing tiles that represent you know, the fin- what will ultimately be the finished project through this assembly line. It's constantly moving forward. Chocolate comes out one end, it goes in the other. And I really like the kind of tactile nature of it. And from the description, it sounded really, really Really cool. I'm very, very stoked for this. Also, Jen is very stoked for this. I know she will be because she loves chocolate so much. Of course, I, who doesn't love chocolate? I, I don't know. There probably are some people, and I, I, I'm sorry for that. But uh, it looks really cool. Should be very, very sharp. Chocolate Factory. And speaking of chocolate, how about the next one? Chocolatiers. Which is from Isaias Vallejo, who uh, has, and was it, Daily Magic Games, who has brought us the Valeria Card Kingdom series. This is not set in Valeria. This is more of an abstract um, set collection game where we're grabbing cards that represent different types of chocolates, and we're trying to get them all arrayed nicely in a, in a box assortment, or you know, a, a chocolate assortment box. You know, those ones where you open it up and oh, look, there's a whole bunch of different chocolates, and yeah, and you know, they're all mixed and matched. We are trying to make the best, most beautiful, most attractive, and highest point-scoring box of chocolates. This one, I'll be honest, is mostly on there, again, because of the chocolate theme for Jen. But Isaias has also proven to be a very sharp designer. I have really loved all the Valeria games. And this is him kind of branching out in a totally different direction. So I'm totally interested in Chocolatiers. Now let's move on to Circadian's First Light. Now, this is from designer S.J. McDonald, who last year had a huge breakout hit with Architects of the West Kingdom. I mean, that one he co-designed with Shem Phillips of Garpill Games. And, but as I understand it, the majority of the design was his. And then, you know, Shem kind of added some more stuff, you know, tweaked it a bit. And Shem clearly likes working with uh, S.J. I don't know what his real name is. It's just S.J. McDonald. Maybe his name is also Shem. I don't know. Um, because uh, Garp Hill is going to be producing this one. There's not much to say about it. 
Um, uh, I, I can't really make out too terribly much from the description of it on Board Game Geek at this point. Uh, you've heard me, I mean, just last month I was ranting about how descriptions always do a really poor job of, of getting me enticed or excited. I'm mostly excited about this because Architects of the West Kingdom is so good, and uh, so I want to see what he does next for his sophomore effort. Also, it looks like maybe it's dice drafting or dice worker placement. I'm almost basing that more on the pictures than I am on the actual uh, gameplay description. But anyway, like I said, I'm in it because of the designer, and uh, let's see. Uh, but you know, the lack of information is why it's not going to make it into my top 25. Although, like I said, I, I, Circadian's First Light... Fingers crossed. Oh, by the way, did I mention it's uh, a far-flung future colonizing an alien planet trying to make treaties and interact with the alien species on the planet? Probably should have mentioned that. Right. Circadian... With that title, it could have been anything. Um, Right. And that is Circadian's First Light. Next up, we have uh, Coloma. With a C. Because we're in the Cs, remember. Coloma. Which is a... Second edition, actually I'm not even going to say that, it is a full-on sequel to a very, very cool game I did a run-through for a couple of years ago called Hangtown. Now at the time, I said Hangtown, you could consider it Race for the Galaxy set in the Old West, uh, because it, 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 it did things very, very differently than Race, but it still had that really great tableau building, card combo, uh, chasing type stuff, and a very, very cool system where you are trying to choose actions every round paying attention to what you think everybody else is going to choose. And um, if you can anticipate what everybody else is going to do, and while everybody else is doing X, if you do Y, you can really clean up. And that was a brilliant, brilliant game. I did have some issues with it. I didn't think it worked very well for two, and it was much better at higher player counts, like it could go up to six. Anyway, the designer of that game, Johnny Mac has been working on the sequel for years. And it is finally going to go, I think, on Kickstarter this year. I don't know if it comes out this year. Um, But it's that same basic game, but from talking to him, because he's going to send me a prototype so I can cover it, there is so much changed, so much evolved, so much added. Not the least of which is art from the Miko, which I'm very excited about. He's teamed up with Dave Turchi. I've talked about him in the past, a really sharp, uh, very versatile designer. And, I mean, Hangtown was fa- phenomenal at higher player counts. Uh, I really hope Coloma will be phenomenal at two. It's interesting. Hangtown played from two to six. This one only plays from two to five. Right off the bat, that makes me think that the two-player game might be a bit sharper. So anyway, I'm definitely excited about Coloma, but moving ahead, I'm also excited about the next game, Sierra West. And yes, this is an S. I'm, I'm jumping because this is another game coming out this year from Johnny... Johnny. I, oh, I said Johnny Mac. It's Johnny Pack. Uh, Johnny Pack. And this is another one set in the Old West, the American West. Uh, but this one, instead of us trying to build up uh, you know, an Old West town, we are pioneers you know, on the, I don't know, the Oregon Trail? I don't know what trail, but we're basically heading west, you know, uh, trying to take care of our stagecoaches. And this one looks like it's got to be one of the most bonkers, brilliant action programming games I have seen in a long time. Because what you do is you have a bunch of cards with a bunch of icons that can represent the different actions you can do. And you kind of stack these cards on top of each other so that certain icons are exposed and other ones are covered up. But then you slip them under a board so you see... So this little uh, combination of cards uh, goes under this board so that only certain slots of icons are appearing. So it's kind 
kind of a cross between last year's smartphone, which I absolutely adored, and, um, oh, Le Granja. And, oh my gosh, it looks so good. And considering how good Hangtown was, I am super duper stoked. I could not be more excited about Sierra West. Alrighty, Johnny Pack, I think, is going to have a very good year. But now, let's move on back to the letter C and Cosmic Run Mining Colony. This is from Dr. Finn Games, as in Steve Finn. And uh, I think, is this the fourth game in his Cosmic Run series? It might be. Although the first three, the original Cosmic Run and then the uh, second edition Cosmic Run and the Cosmic Run Roll and Write, I mean, all of those were just very simple race games uh, where you were rolling dice and, and trying to you know, race to get to planets, to colonize them. In this game, it's a true sequel because we've made it there. And we are in the act of not necessarily colonizing them, uh, but setting up a mining colony trying to exploit the planets we've reached. And this one is a two-player only game. Although I think there's a solo there's solo rule, so it's a one or two-player game. And I don't know much more than that, other than I'm a huge fan of Dr. Finn games. And two of my favorites that he's ever done were Capo de Capi and uh, Institute of Magical Arts, which were both two-player games. And they both work so well. They are rare examples of area control tug-of-war games that Jen and I actually love. Normally, we hate that kind of thing. So I have got really good feeling about Cosmic Run Mining Colony. Now we're done with the letter C. Let's move on to D, uh, as in The Dawn of Mankind. Now, I don't know much about this. It's from Tasty Minstrel Games, so that means I'm, I have a high level of confidence it's going to be a good, well-designed game. Boom. Uh, let's see. Actually, I need to look it up. Who, who was the designer? I remember it, it was from a, you know, not a super well-known designer, but one, uh, Marco Pranzo. You know, which, he does not jump to me, but I know he has done... Uh, oh, yeah, he did last year's Manitoba, which I, suppose, I, I haven't played yet, but I'm looking forward to it. He also did Historia, which I thought was a very good civilization-building game. Uh, Upon a Salty Ocean, I thought that was a very interesting worker placement. So, um, Marco has had a... a you know, he, he hasn't really broken out yet, but uh, he's got some really good designs under his belt. Apparently, this is good enough for Tasty Minstrel to pick up. Like I said, I think Tasty Minstrel has a very excellent track record. It's got... The, the thing that really grabs me... I'll be honest. I'm being shallow. It's the cover art from Quan Chai Moria. And it looks... Um, oh, it, it is attention-grabbing. It is stunning. If you go to the geek list and check it out yourself, I mean, there's no game art that's been revealed. There's no real description of the game other than it's a worker placement game and it's a rough and brutal existence at the dawn of mankind. So it's a, basically a caveman survival simulation. I'm super stoked about it. My only concern is I have heard through the grapevine that there might be a fair bit of take that aggressive play in it. You know, players going at each other, I don't know, stealing from each other, I'm not really quite sure. That hasn't really been um, Mar in Marco's wheelhouse much before, as far as I know, but we'll see. So I'm a little bit hesitant about it, but again, the art looks great, the pedigree seems sharp, so Dawn of Mankind makes the list. Then we move on to Deckscape, Behind the Curtain. And the previous Deckscape, uh, Heist in Venice, 
which I did a rundown for last year, currently stands as Jen's and my personal high watermark for escape rooms at home. We love the Deckscape experience, and I know I'm kind of in the minority. Most people um, prefer the Unlock series, and there's a lot of cool stuff there, or the Exit series. There's a lot of amazing stuff there, too. But for Jens and my money, Deckscape is the best. For me, as a designer, I am always absolutely blown away by how clever these games are, how much they do with just a deck of cards, without any apps, without any arts and crafts, just a simple deck of cards, and yet they're so cool and rich and fulfilling. Um, And I'll be honest, another reason we like them is Deckscape games, all of them, have definitely been on the low end of the difficulty scale. At no point when we ever play Deckscape games do we ever feel, oh my god, we just feel like stupid idiots. How long did it take us to do this, and why didn't we think of that? Every escape room in a and a box game so far has made us feel like morons and made us question, why do we even play these games? Almost every single one, except for the Deckscape series. I know hardcore escape room fans means that Deckscapes are for babies, and that's okay. I don't mind. I just want to sit down and have some fun, and Deckscape delivers. And Heist in Venice, uh, harkening back to what I was saying before about these escape rooms at home, um, had an amazing, did an amazing job of melding narrative and gameplay, narrative and puzzles. If they continue, they can continue at the top of the list, even though they're going to have more um, competition this year than ever before. So I'm very, very excited for the next one, Behind the Curtain, which apparently will have to do with magicians. That's all I need to know. Don't care. They're super cheap. They're super fun. Deckscape, Behind the Curtain. Now, let's talk about Dice Upon a Time. And so this is, first of all, there's a couple things I love about this. Uh, In a world where... Generic high fantasy after generic high fantasy after generic high fantasy game comes out. Don't get me wrong. I love me some Tolkien knockoff orcs and dragons type stuff. Absolutely love it. Never will get tired of high fantasy. But I think the developers of Dice Upon a Time were so smart not to do that, but to instead take a mishmash of all the characters and locations and events of the works of the Brothers Grimm fairy tales. Uh, and put them all into one big crossover game. So, um, you know, Cinderella and Little Red Riding Hood and Snow White and, um, you know, ones I've never heard of, The Booted Cat, The Musicians of Brenneman, um, uh, The Thumbling. I don't even know who all these are, but I love that. That is so cool. That is such a smart approach for Corona Games to have done that because this is all public domain. It's like they're getting a license for free that we all immediately... I mean, I, I, I that's just... So cool. I love that idea. I I love seeing... I I can imagine how neat it will be to see these characters all glom together and see how they interact. But that in of itself is not enough. Uh, The other thing is, apparently we are... I don't know how, I don't know who, I don't know what the particulars are, but we will be traversing a map of the world. And to do it, we have to um, use custom dice and place them on the map and build towers out of the dice that we are placing on the map to move around. That is... They don't actually explain hardly anything. Uh, let's see. I mean, what do they say? In the, innovative move, uh, in the innovative movement mechanism, players use a set of special dice, placing them on the map tactically, building towers out of them, getting ahead of or blocking opponents while trying to get the most out of the advantages granted by the special die faces. Folks... If you listened last month and you heard me rant about how, more often than not, game publishers do a poor job of encapsulating what is exciting or interesting or different about their games, that 
is a masterful sentence. The first paragraph talks about the theme and how cool it's going to be mash all these characters together. In one sentence, the second paragraph pulls me in and makes me want to know more. What does that mean? Um, does that mean I'm moving around in the world like uh, Runebound, but I'm stacking dice on top of each other? I'm leaving them behind and creating walls? Um, the dice I play not only let me move, but give me special powers? Oh, this could be a million things! But I am super intrigued! Good job! They didn't, they didn't have to drown me with a lot of, you know, really dense descriptions. They just said enough to whet my interest and put this on my list. Now, to be fair, if they'd given me more information so I could make more of an informed idea about it, hey, maybe it would have pushed into the top 10. But uh, this was good enough. Dice Upon a Time has definitely whetted my appetite, and I cannot wait to learn more about it. But now, we're done with D, moving on to E, which stands for Egesia, the Shifting Sands Edition. Now, Egesia came out years ago. What was it, a 2009 game? 2010? I don't remember. Just for my own edification, I'm going to go look it up. Re-implements Agizia. And Agizia came out, yep, in 2009. And it was a worker placement game, which at the time was fairly innovative because you were placing your workers going down the Nile River. And once you put your worker, say, on the third space on the river, you were, are never allowed to go back. You can never go back to the second or the first space. And so it was kind of, um, you know, it was kind of like a one-way time track crossed with worker placement. It's very good. Now, since then, several other games have done similar things, uh, but Agizia still occupies. A very warm place in a lot of people's hearts, and it has been out of print forever, commanding very high prices, very hard to get. Finally, somebody had the smart idea to reprint the thing so people can play it, and I'm very, very happy about that. Now, that said, Jen and I did play Agizia, because 2009 is when we kind of got into games, and we said, oh, that sounds interesting, let's grab that. And I couldn't tell you why it's so long ago. It really didn't stick with us. There was something about it, and we just got rid of it. I, I don't know why, but... I'm looking forward to trying it again and seeing what improvements they've made uh, on a game that came out 10 years ago. So, Agizia Shifting Sands, let's find out together, shall we? Then, that's it for E. Oh my gosh, we're right on to F. Flow. Although it's an acronym. F-L-O-W. Which, oh, what's, okay, what's the F-L-O-W stand for? Let's open up the page. It stands for the Federal Land and Oceanic Workforce. Uh, um, that's odd. Because, that's not what I expected to be at all, I, because this is a time travel game. Um, this is what was interesting about it. It's a cooperative time travel game um, where we are basically, there's a whole bunch of discs or, or, or on, the, on the table that represent, I assume, places and times. And I don't know much about the game. Uh, mostly, I'm intrigued because looking at a, a screen, a picture of the game in play, there's all these discs, there's uh, player discs on the disc, or I should say they look like coasters with art on them that indicates different times and places and stuff. And these places are connected with these really funky, like hooped plastic strings or something like that. So I'm assuming it's some kind of route building game where we are trying to open up... Um, yeah, it actually talks about it. Chrono stream. 
channels that will allow us to manipulate the time zone because we are entrusted with maintaining the temporal continuum and the fate of the human race. So I don't know how that means we work for the federal land and oceanic workforce. Because this is a time travel game. Okay, that's just weird. But here's the thing. Jen and I, we love time travel. And you got to see this picture, folks. It just looks crazy. It looks like spaghetti spilled all over the table. And so I'm very interested to know, how does this work? How does flow work? Well, I'll find out, hopefully, this year. And that's it for F. Let's move on to H with Humboldt's Great Voyage. Now, um, this is another design duo working on it who I don't think have worked together in the past. Remo uh, uh, Konzendori and uh, Nestori Mangoni, or maybe they have worked together in the past. Let's see. Remo, I'm not that familiar with you. Let me look. What have you done? I do know Nestori, though. Uh, Okay, no, they have worked together in the past on, um, on Expo 1906. And, uh, and then I, so I, we played the Expo 1906. Uh, Remo's also worked on Manitoba, which I mentioned is one I'm definitely interested in trying out. And Nestore worked on Expo 1906 and last year's Newton. So I'm interested in this because having played both Expo 1906 and Newton, we both thought, we thought they were both very good, but Jen had a huge problem with both of them. They... Feature, they were games that were strong in the baby step approach, where every turn you just do tiny little iterative steps. You never you never get to build up for really big turns. It's just, hey, after a dozen tiny little steps, you will have accomplished something major. Jen always found them very frustrating, and she wanted to be able to do more in less time. And so while we thought they were good designs, they never fit. But I'm still down... To, to try some more of what these guys have to offer. And uh, maybe this is going to be the one that hits. Uh, Humboldt, uh, according to the description here, was um, you know thought of as uh, the second Columbus uh, in terms of exploring. I, I don't know who he is. I'm looking forward to learning more about the history of this guy doing major expeditions from South America up to North America and all that. But what's most interesting about it is it is a Moncala game. And in all honesty... Moncalas really do lend themselves to baby step style iteration. So maybe this one, Humboldt's Great Voyage, is going to be the one where Nestore and Remo finally click with us. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Let's go on to the letter I for Inhuman Conditions. Now, this is really interesting to me. Super interesting. It is from the developers of, oh, what's it? Secret Hitler? Um, which is obviously a, a crazy uh, party game of deception and um, you know hidden identities and all that, which are, those kind of games are never going to work for me and Jen because they always require a big group of people. The more, the merrier. Inhuman Conditions is a two-player only game, and it tries to emulate the famous uh, scene from Blade Runner, where Harrison Ford is interviewing a person trying to determine if they are a replicant, an android, uh, because of the responses they give to a series of questions. And that's what two players are sitting down across the table from each other doing in this game. One player has a bunch of questions which come in the form of cards. The other player has to answer these questions and try to hide their identity. And, oh my gosh, this sounds so awesome. I am so excited about this. I cannot wait to try it. I have to admit, I love lying in games. Um, you know, I, I don't get to do it very often because it's just generally not the type of game Jen and I play together. But man, folks from... 
Splash Damage games, they remember all the times I spent playing uh, Small World and just lying the whole time, trying to convince everybody at the table that I was not the danger. Everybody else was the danger. So I'm very much looking forward to trying to get into Jen's head, either to totally trick her or, or try to figure out if she's trying to trick me. Now, this might not work for us because the few times we have tried these, Jen tends to get a little frustrated because it's just not in her wheelhouse. She's just too... Much of a straight arrow, but oh man, it sounds like such a cool idea. I, I'm really looking forward to trying in human conditions. And then uh, we're going on to Jay for Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell, a board game of English magic. Now, I should say I know very little about this incredibly well loved Victorian era um, magic fantasy book, uh, and I've uh, never read it. I keep being told I should. In fact, somebody has already posted here on the Geek List, you should really read the book. It's what I wanted Harry Potter to be, a sophisticated view on how the resurgence of magic would have necessarily been political. Okay, that's intriguing. So, I, I know the subject matter uh, has inspired a lot of, of love and admiration, so I'm intrigued by the theme. Although, I, I wonder. I wonder if the game will have spoilers. I wonder if I need to read the book. Although, actually, I think there's now a Netflix miniseries for the book as well, isn't there? Yeah, actually, yes. Um, yes, there is. So, I don't know. That aside, um, the other thing that really is intriguing to me about this game is the designers, as is often the case. Marco uh, uh, Maggi and Francesco uh, Nepitello. Again, not necessarily household names there. You know, I, I, I don't necessarily put them next to Feld or Rosenberg. But they have a very strong pedigree because these are the guys who have brought us the War of the Rings games. Um, and so they are hugely well-respected, these two guys, uh, for these kind of quasi-Euro um, war games. I mean, heck, they also did Age of Conan. Um, and, uh, oh, they, uh, last year I think they did War of the Ring. So, you know, they have a very specific wheelhouse, but they have been branching out kind of away from their origins and doing more and more uh, just straight Euro-type stuff. Uh, like a, a few years ago, they did Venetia... And they did... Oh, what was it? Uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to look it up because I don't remember. I wanted to memorize this. Oh, uh, was it two years ago? They did Barcelona, Rose of Fire. I don't know how well that was received. I never played it, but I was always interested in trying it. So, but anyway, these guys are known for a very specific thing. Uh, it's, it's, you know, but... They are not resting on their laurels and just trying to rehash the same thing over and over. And they're trying to do new, th new, new things. And that's why I'm interested in Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Plus the subject matter. Okay. Moving right along. Let us go to the letter K for Kingswood. Although, hold on a second. My throat's very dry. Let's have a drink of water first, shall we? Ooh, I had to work hard to stifle the ah. Um... Why do we do that? I assume it's some kind of release of air because I wasn't able to breathe for a second while I was... Anyway, hardly. Um, Kingswood. Here is another example of a description. Oh, this one is not as good as the one I was talking about earlier, the Grimm's Fairy Tale one. That they did a very good job of capturing my imagination uh, with, with, you know, a, a, with, 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 with very sparse, very simple description, but it was enough to say, oh... That piques my interest. Let me uh, look it up and read it to you. All righty. Oh, okay. Well, first of all, there's the setting, which is correct. Yeah, we're uh, controlling guild adventures to gain gold, hearts, swords, spellbooks, to fight monsters in the King's Forest, to first player to get 20 glory. Okay, fine, sure, whatever. A lot of descriptions would stop there. 
Um, but here's the important thing. It features an action rotation mechanism that puts the players at the heart of the game. Each turn, you select an adventurer and move them to a new location, taking the action associated with both the starting and ending location. Um, and since every player controls the same adventurers, your choices change uh, your opponent's options on their turn. Boom. That's enough. That is intriguing. That is very interesting. It's a worker placement game where the workers are all out on the board. I'm going to pick up a worker because I want to do their starting action and I want to do an ending action. This actually sounds very similar to a very, very cool worker placement system in Raiders of the North Sea. But this seems different because that one, they were true workers. You know, they were saying this one, it's more, the workers are more like in the colonists. That's why I said this is like a cross between Raiders of the North Sea and the colonists in a fantasy setting. I'm very interested in that. I can imagine brilliant, super fun gameplay off of that. And, um, you know, they were able to capture why um, in a very simple, direct, to the point look. This is why we're special. Um, this, this is what we do, and this is the impact it has on gameplay. Okay, you've got my attention, Kingswood developers. Nicely done. Now, let's see if you make a good game. 20th century game, or 25th century games. That's Kingswood. A gilded quest for two to five players. Moving on to L, we have Legend Raiders. Okay, this is from uh, designer Francesco Testini. And uh, last year, oh, actually, I think it came out the year before, but last year, I was introduced to Xion, which is an incredibly smart action programming game. Uh, you can watch my run through to see why. Uh, Jen and I, we, it just, for us, it kind of came out of nowhere and it really didn't get a lot of attention, which is a real shame because it was a super smart design, all about um, actually uh, gathering the resources and building the famous Terracotta army. So, anyway, that game was phenomenal. And Francesco, this year, is going to be bringing us... He's co-designing with somebody else. Sorry, I don't remember who. Okay, but I'll look it up because I... Uh, you know, Hey, I was a designer. Credit where credit is due, right? Who is his co-designer? Francesco is working with Dario uh, Maserenti. Maserenti. All right, and let's see. Dario, what have you worked on? Dario. Oh, Dario's brand new. So I don't know if Legend Raiders is really Dario's baby and Francesco's helping him out or vice versa. You can never be sure. But... Uh, like I said, Shion was so good. I'm interested in this. And this is basically a Indiana Jones Tomb Raider style game. And now, sadly, I, this one has a very, very long description talking about the setting, talking about the gameplay. And it's just a big mishmash of, I read it and I don't have any sense of what the game is like to play. Uh, this is a great example of somebody worked really hard to describe this and then did a terrible job of actually doing it in a way that evokes images in my head of what the game would feel like to play. Um, I, don't know, I, I don't know why I'm still on this. I guess because some people are interested. But Legend Raiders, I'm not here for the subject matter. Tomb Raider, sure, that's fine, whatever. I'm not here because of the description. They did not do a very good job of describing what is basically a set collection game. I'm here because Shion was brilliant. So I want to see if Legend Raiders is too. But now, let's move on to another one-hit letter. M for Metal Gear Solid the board game. Boy, howdy. Okay, I'm. Um, this is an interesting one. It's from designer Emerson Matsuchi. And, uh, you know, he's done several games, not a very few of which have really clicked with me and Jen. Um, and certainly the, the one that's most applicable here is oh, I can't think of the name of it now. We played it. It was, you know, the hidden movement, hide and seek game. All right, Century Eastern Wonders plus Spice Road, we liked. 
Um, and oh, Reef we liked. Okay. Oh, Spectre Ops. Yeah, Spectre Ops. Oh my God, we hated it. It was just pure drudgery. One uh, or two depending on your player count, players sneaking around in a hidden facility and everybody else trying to find them. And a lot of people at the time said, hey, this is like Metal Gear Solid, the board game. So it kind of made sense that when somebody got the rights to it, they came to Emerson. So why am I interested? When we so just did not even the remotely tiniest bit like Spectre Ops at all, we just thought it was kind of awful. Here's the reason. This one is pure co-op. Everybody's on the same team. Everybody's trying to sneak and avoid being spot by what the description calls a dynamic AI system. Okay, let's see. Uh, impress me, Emerson. I, 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 I can't wait to see it. I think that should be able to work. I can imagine a lot of different ways to do it. I want to see how you do it. And I want to be able to sneak around um, with my wife and uh, stay one step ahead of guards and complete objectives. It could be really, really good. So, it's on the list, Metal Gear Solid, the board game. And, ironically, it's on the list even though Metal Gear Solid is my greatest nemesis. Metal Gear Solid almost destroyed me and my team when we were working on Siphon Filter. Why isn't this Siphon Filter, the board game? Ah! It would have fit, but oh well. We had stealth. Our stealth is better. <gasps> Gasp. Sorry. Never mind. Uh, let's move on to In for No Dawn. <sighs> After another drink of water. Um, right. Sorry, my throat is really uh, getting uh, parched here. I might have to take a break pretty quick. But let's at least finish. Oh my god, the first page? We're only on the first page? All right, No Dawn. Uh, this was on my list last year as well. And um, it's a deck builder. It's from Colossal Games and de designer J.B. Howell. Actually, in all honesty, the reason it's on is because last year I knew enough about it to say, hey, I'm excited, and it didn't come out, so this year I'm a little bit less excited because it's just taken forever. But let's see. What has JB done? Um, uh, Elements and Idols, another game I've been waiting for forever, which will probably, sadly, never come out. All right, so I just really don't know JB's pedigree at all. But... Oh, okay. Then all, all I can do with this is go back to why I, I... Oh, I wrote, A cooperative fantasy worker placement deck building defend the city from waves of enemies game. I like all those things. That's true. I do like all those things. And um, so, I am very, very interested. I wish I could say why, because it's been over a year, and, I, and the description hasn't really done much to ever explain. Let's look. Actually, what, I'm going to look at the history of this description. Nope. It was added in August of 2017, and, um, wait a minute, was it? No, okay. Okay, so no, it wasn't in my top 20 last year. I thought this was. I guess it wasn't. But anyway, it was added, and it hasn't been touched since. And um, other than one uh, spelling error, one typo, and the description is just like, oh, come on, guys, you do nothing. So I'm really, I'm, I can't go on the pedigree of the designer. I am interested because of the publisher, Colossal Games. Uh, you know, they're a new upstart. Um, but really, it's just a combination. Worker placement plus deck building plus co-op plus high fantasy. Okay, that could be cool. I really don't know, though. Uh, time will tell. Uh, but I don't have much more to say. Because this is definitely one of those, yeah, you're not really telling me much, are you? Okay, let's move on to um, O for 100 Tory. So, this is got art from Vincent Dutre. 
which all I got to stop saying is maybe he is my favorite board game artist working today. The worlds he creates are always so bright and joyous and vibrant. The color palettes he uses, the uh, the style of his characterization, everything about his art is just a joy to behold and elevates the game experience. And that's going to be tough for him to do here because this is a, a basically a tile-laying game where we're building paths. So he doesn't have much to work with. So I don't know how much his art will actually impact things other than a really nice box cover. So anyway... The box cover art pulls me in, but what really gets me going is Scott Caputo, the designer, who has, uh, la- you know, two years ago, he did Whistle Stop. Several years before that, he did um, Veluspa, or Vasupa, you know, Veluspa, I think it was. And, um, oh, and then I also, last year, he had, what was it? I, I did it when I did a run through for it when it was on Kickstarter. The um, building of the. Oh, Sorcerer City, Sorcerer City. And I've never played Kachina, um, which I think is a retheme, uh, or Veluspa was a retheme of Kachina. So, Kachina slash Veluspa, excellent tile land game. Whistle Stop, brilliant tile land game. Sorcerer City, really smart, clever, real time tile land game. 100 Tori, another tile land game. Scott Caputo is the master of tile laying games. Every time he does one, he um, somehow reinvents the wheel and comes up with really cool, interesting new stuff. So, Scott Caputo on this game makes me interested. Now, it's also a co-design him and Eduardo Baraf, who also, um, you know, who actually has his own YouTube show, Edo. And um, I've always liked... Eduardo's designs. I've always thought they were very clever, but way, way, way too light and family-friendly gateway-ish for Jens and my tastes. So, Eduardo, I'm sorry. Uh, I love you, man, but you're not bringing me in. But your your partner is Scott Caputo. I want to see what he's going to do with tile laying next. And if they're really pretty tiles, prettier than the average tile laying game, uh, um, I'm all the more on board for 100 Tory. And then we've got Outlaws... In a strange land. Okay, I can say almost nothing about this game. Again, the description on Board Game Geek fails miserably. Uh, apparently, it's something about the American Old West and demons are escaping from hell, and so we have to fight supernatural stuff and solve mysteries and encounter memorable characters as we explore the weird West. Yeah, okay, fine. Uh, I could take it or leave it. Um, but uh, here's the thing. This game has a companion app. So, right off the bat, for a lot of people, that means out, don't care. Uh, I don't I, I don't want a digital in my analog. I, you know, I'm, okay, fine. I, I don't mean this in a bad way. There's nothing wrong with being a Luddite. I, I know that's, a, you know, the, I, I mean the original term for Luddite, which simply meant somebody who was trying to avoid technology. I, I don't mean it in a disparaging way. You don't want technology in your gaming. I totally get that. That's fine. I love technology working its way into my games if it if it creates something that couldn't have been done otherwise. And here's what I think it might do here based on this very limited, not very descriptive thing. In fact, I might hate this game because it looks like it might have a role to resolve combat. So it might be an absolutely awful experience for us, but I still am interested because reading between the lines here, I suspect the companion app takes on the role of a dungeon master. So that we could, Jen and I could have a two-player pen and paper adventure experience where we work together, and because we don't have a third player to be our dungeon master, so we have the app do it. I love the promise of that. 
it probably won't deliver on that. This is pro- of every game on this list. If I had ordered all of them in order of enthusiasm, this would have probably been at the bottom because I suspect strongly it won't give me what I want, but I'm still intrigued by the promise of what it could be if it's a truly cool and innovative way to bring digital into analog. So it's on the list. Smack dab in the middle because it starts with an O. Outland. Outlaws in a strange land. Okay. And, hey, you know what? We just hit through O. Yeah, I'm going to take a break for... No, no, no. We've got... One more, and then we're finished with this page. Number 50 on the list, remember we skipped the first 25 because those come at the end because they're a countdown, um, is Patchwork Doodle. And um, I'm going to leave this as a cliffhanger because the first game on page three is Second Chance. And this is another case where I went out of alphabetical order because both of these games are from designer Uwe Rosenberg and they're both Tetris-inspired roll and rights. So... I'm going to talk about both of them after I go get some more water. So hang on, everybody. I'll be right back. Okie doke, everybody. Welcome back. Let's continue. So what is the deal? Patchwork Doodle and Second Chance. Both from Uwe Rosenberg. Both rolling rights. Or kind of drawing rights. Uh, You know, but both kind of following the rolling right trend. And... It gets even crazier. They are from different publishers. One is from Lookout Games. That's Patchwork Doodle, because, of course, Patchwork, the original Patchwork, was done by Lookout. And Second Chance comes from Pegasus. But both games, from the description, start exactly the same. Every player has their own 9x9 nine nine grid, and every player, via a random setup mechanism, has to draw somewhere on their grid the same starting Tetris piece, wherever they want, and then the game begins. So both these games even start out the same. But then... They play very differently um, than both of them. You are going through a series of steps to get to be to get directions for what other Tetris style pieces to draw and try to fill up your grid as best as possible, like the original patchwork. And but they do them in very different ways. Doodle, uh, 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 patchwork doodle. It does it by having a list of cards on display, and you roll a die, and that determines which of those cards on display you will have to draw on your board when it's your turn. And so only you do it. And then new cards come out. And so you can do a fair bit of planning. Okay, based on what the die's going to get, I might have to draw this, 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 or this. Okay, give me the right thing, die! And then, oh, I got that one. Okay, but that's okay. I'll put it over in the corner because I know what I might combine it with later. So you can have a fair... It sounds really interesting. I'm really keen on on it. Uh, It sounds like you can do a fair bit of planning, especially because each player has a few special powers they can use once per game. So that's always an interesting decision. Oh, should I use this now or should I save it for when I really need it? You know, things that will let you override, um, you know, what the die says you have to draw on your board. One of the powers sounds very cool. Yeah, this is the the Tetris shape you have to draw, but you can split it in two and put the two different halves. So lots of neat stuff. I'm really keen on it. And then you've got Second Chance, which sounds like the lighter game, I guess. The, the, the more gateway-ish. It's a little bit less light because after... Uh, you know, again, we're, we're back to a 9x9 grid. Everybody's drawn the same shape to start out. And now, everybody... Uh, there, two cards are drawn. Or, yeah, two cards are drawn, and everybody has to pick one of those two. Everybody can pick the same one or a different one. And you know those two cards, again, show you what shape you're going to draw as you're trying to fill up your grid. And what will happen is, 
apparently. You know, so you, you choose A, I choose B, and then the next round, okay, we both choose B, and we're doing stuff. Eventually, on some round, there's an A and a B, and I look at them, and oh my god, I can't put either of these. There's no place for me to put these in my grid. And that's when I can get a second chance because I have my own private deck of cards that I could go to. And if I draw, I draw a card from there. And if I can make that one fit, hooray, I'm still in it. And I can continue to play. And if it doesn't, I'm eliminated. And once all the players but one are eliminated, the game is over. And whoever, the last man standing wins. So... That's a very different approach. It's more bingo-y. Everybody you know, drawing off the same stuff, but then having their own private thing off to the side. It's certainly much lighter. Not a cool. Not not a lot of special powers and stuff like that. So. I'm really curious to know how this came about. I mean, obviously, I can only assume Uwe Rosenberg would say, hey, let's do a roll and write of, of uh, Patchwork. And he said, okay, I'll do it. And then along the way, he came up with this other idea for an alternate way to do it. But rather than put it as a uh, variant in the rules, um, you know, Lookout said, yeah, you can take that somewhere else. And so he took it across the street to Pegasus. And now we're going to have two games that are very, very similar, both kind of skinning the same cat in a different way, both, I guess, for different audiences. So I'm really intrigued by that. Very, very intrigued by that, in fact. Uh, which one will be better? I don't know. But that is the interesting story of, or my supposed, I'm just guessing, story of Patchwork Doodle and Second Chance. But now, let's move on to Perseverance, the Castaway Chronicles. For a lot of people, this is probably going to be the most exciting game of the year because it is the next game from Trickerian. I'm not, no, 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 no. Not from Tricarian, from Mind Clash, the publisher of Tricarian and Anachrony and uh, Cerebria. Uh, the publisher, probably more than any other in the industry, that is known for big, ambitious, bombastic, table devouring, beautifully um, crafted, and cleverly designed Euros with really radically out there, never heard of it, never thought of it before themes. And, I mean, you know, they definitely have a large following because of what they've been doing. This sounds really, really cool because the theme here is probably the most far out one yet. An ocean liner full of passengers crashes on a deserted island. And when they get off the boat, they realize, oh, this is like Land of the Lost. There's dinosaurs and stuff. Oh, no, what do we do? Cut to 50 years later. They're still stuck here. Cut to a hundred years later. Their descendants are stuck here. They're never getting off this island. And um, they're going to have to build a whole new civilization. Um, they're going to have to show real perseverance, all these castaways in this chronicle. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, especially because this is it's not a legacy game. It's a campaign game where there are five chapters that tell the story of these castaways and their descendants surviving and thriving on this dinosaur lost land. And um, each one of the chapters could be its own standalone game. Um, so you could just play chapter three over and over and over again because that's your favorite chapter because of the special rules it implements for that one. This is all very cool, far out, really um, ambitious stuff. So I'm interested in all of that. But there's another reason I'm really keen on this game that has absolutely nothing to do with what I said. Um, because this is from another design duo, um, uh, Thomas Van Gienst and Wolf Plank. And these two guys, they are the Charlie Brown of the board game industry because through no fault of their own, nothing seems to go right. 
I, I have been watching these guys for years now. Their first game came out in 2012. Uh, Yido, with a Y. Y-E-D-O. And they had been developing it for years. It was a really cool, very atmospheric uh, worker placement game set in a city where you send your workers out to do stuff. And when it came out, it got accused of being a Lords of Waterdeep riff-off set in, you know, uh, in feudal Japan, if I recall correctly. And that was so unfair because it had been in development for years before anybody had even heard of... Um, Lords of Waterdeep. But it just never really got much of an audience because it was a bigger, deeper, heavier, much more complex, much uh, more intricate game than Lords of Waterdeep. But Lords of Waterdeep had already stamped its claim and everybody said, well, if I'm going to have a worker placement in a city game, I guess I'll do that. Don't need to have this Yido thing. So that was just bad timing because if they could have come out earlier, they could have had Potentially, maybe that Lords of Waterdeep success, because you know they, but they, 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 it wasn't their own fault. It was just a string of problems with their publisher. So okay, fine. Um, they land another gig to do a game based on a very cool series of comic books called Kill Shakespeare. Um, this is I was talking about earlier about the the mashup of Grim Forest or Grimm's Fairy Tale. Uh, characters. Uh, Kill Shakespeare is a mashup comic book combining all of Shakespeare's characters in one contiguous universe. Bear, I actually read the comic book series. It's really cool. And um, the design they came up with this for this game was absolutely brilliant. A very interesting semi-cooperative game. Kind of had shades of Archipelago, but a radically different experience. Really, really cool stuff. Very brilliant. But it was published by IDW. And folks... Last year, a lot of people complained about how bad the production quality was on Carpe Diem. Um, I did too. But man, that's got nothing compared to how absolutely atrocious the production quality of Kill Shakespeare was and how bad the rulebook was. And so it just kind of curled up and died and went away because nobody wanted to play it because... Uh, it did not get the love and attention that it deserved. So uh, there are, you know... Um, Thomas and Wolf's Bad Luck Strikes Again. And then I figure, oh, 2017 is going to be their year. Because their third game, Dragon's Gate College, is coming out. It's from NSKN. And NSKN has produced high-quality game after high-quality game. I mean, you know, they've all been variable levels of uh, you know gameplay. They appeal to different audiences. But their qu production quality has always been great. And finally, they're going to get their chance to shine with Dragon's Gate College, which is basically kind of like a Hogwarts universe, a heavier dice-drafting Hogwarts University magic um, type simulation. And, uh, you know, Jen and I played it. We thought it was very good. And I thought, okay, this is going to be their year. is mean, going to really push it. And then, I don't know what happened, but Dragon's Gate College had, compared to everything else NSKN had done, really poor production quality. Um, you know, and again, people just kind of passed it by and quickly forgot it, in spite of the fact that it had very, very cool dice-drafting gameplay. So three for three, um, you know, Thomas and Wolf. Like I said, you know, they, just, they just can't catch a break. But they keep on plugging away. I love it. And so 2019 Perseverance Castaway Chronicles goes on Kickstarter, and I am confident that Mind Clash will not fail them. That finally, um, there will be a production quality and hopefully the right timing that matches their very, very clever, innovative designs that they keep on pushing out. Come on, Thomas and Wolf. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in your corner. I hope it's, it sounds great. Um, so, cannot wait for Perseverance Castaway Chronicles. But now, let's move on to Quantified. Okay. 
This is a very, very intriguing game. I thought very seriously about this punching its way into my top 25. Unfortunately, I couldn't because this is another one where the gameplay description just doesn't do enough to really give me a firm sense of what the game is. But I'm so into this anyway, uh, not just because it's a cooperative game, but because of what it tries to do. This is a game that is trying to be a literal piece of art. And I don't mean just something really pretty, but a game that has something to say about our world, that has a point, that has a message. Um, without being on a pedestal or anything, it is basically about life in our modern um, information age, or more to the point, our modern surveillance state. Uh, you know, I mean, this is, some people don't really care, you know, the, the new generation of kids who've grown up with their entire life on Facebook, well, they don't care. I don't care if the government's monitoring everything I do 24-7. But if you look what's going on in the world, um, you know, especially in China, where um, where it's, it's starting to go dark mirror, folks. People get um, good citizenship ratings based on what they are observed as have been done on cameras and what their fellow citizens report them doing. You know, it could be really awesome. It could be really scary. Either way, these ideas are what quantified is all about. Because we as citizens of some near future city where everybody is observed at all time and are given social ratings about how good a citizen they are, we are being quantified by the government and it affects everything about our lives. But we don't particularly care for this way of life, and so we are working within the system. We're not necessarily trying to tear things down. We're trying to work within the system to change things for the better. And it's a cooperative game. I don't know much about the gameplay. Uh, the main thing it says that's intriguing is the notion that, oh, well, um, I, uh, my character can do certain things, your character can do certain things, but on my turn, when I do the thing, you get to do the thing that is my specialty as well. That could be pretty cool for um, you know coordination between players. I don't really know how well it's going to work. Um, but I'm so down for this game. I'm really, really intrigued. I mean, I do think, you know, this is something that a lot of people aren't aware, but is going to define humans' existence. In our generation, this is not the far-off future. This is happening today. Um, you know, London is the most heavily monitored city in the world. There are cameras everywhere, and that's only going to continue. And um, what does it mean? Well, Quantified wants to um, investigate that idea. And I couldn't be more excited to see what they have to say. So, very, very excited for that one. Definitely watch for it. Like I said, the more I think about it, the more I work myself up, I'm thinking, That's, I should have put it in the top 25. I'm sorry, Quantified. But, I, I, you know, I can't wait to find out more. Oh, hey, we're going to stick with Q for a little bit longer with Quad Heroes, which did make my top 25 last year. But now it's, it's pushed off because it's taken too long. Although I still love the idea of it. Um, in this game, you get your 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 quad hero is a little cube. It's not a little cube. It's kind of like maybe the size of four dice all together. This big cube, like so, like a, a quad sized die. But all the different faces of it, it, it's a it's a little character that rolls around the board. You you flip forward or you you rotate. You you rotate. You can flip forward. And what after you've done your movement and you're moving along a map. Whatever the top die face is, that's what you get to do. But it's a little character. They have little faces and smiles and stuff like that. But the different sides of them also represent the actions they can do. And so, oh, I could I could rotate sideways and, and strafe, basically, and all kinds of stuff. I so love the idea. It looks so charming. These quad miniatures look so neat. And um, I do worry about it, though. Because at its heart, it's a competitive game. It's a race game where we're trying to race through an environment and mess with each other and stuff. And I'm like, ah, I don't want any of that. 
But last year they announced, oh, we're also going to have a, a co-op variant. I'm like, oh, why didn't you say so? Now I'm interested. I want my little quad heroes to you know work together to solve problems, not just race it and try to screw each other over and knock each other off the track. Boring. Um, so my only hope is that the developers decide, hey, let's take a year longer to do this and really build up the cooperative game. This is me This is me making wishful thinking. This is me putting that idea out there in the universe and hoping that's the case. I don't know if that's the case, so um, you know, I, I'm equally a little bit nervous because it's taken so long for it to come out. So maybe it'll work out, maybe it won't. But Quad Heroes, I'm still interested. Oh my god, those little Quad Heroes are so adorable! But moving on, let's talk next about Ragusa. So this is from... Uh, the designer of Kalimala, which I have not played, but which I heard nothing but good things about when it came out last year. Maybe it was the year before. But it was a three-player minimum game, so I couldn't play it. So, eh, all right, just moved on. I'm always happy. Nothing makes me happier than seeing a new game that says, oh, minimum three players, because that just means I can completely ignore it, and it's one less game i got to cover. Because, folks, there are too many games to cover. But anyway, so Kalimala got good press. I heard good things. So, the designer, Fabio uh, Lapiano, is back, and Ragusa supports one to five players. So, okay. Now I'm interested. Uh, let's see what he's got. Apparently he's good, but that's not all. Here's another example of a game description that did a very good job of pulling me in. Uh, first of all, it talks about, hey, yeah, we're you know, um, gaining resources to build houses on the board. Um, you know, the typical Euro-type stuff. But, um, right. Uh, a house effectively functions as a worker being placed. Right off the bat, that was interesting. You're like, oh my gosh, that's so smart. Yes, of course. Because, yeah, I'm building all the... I'm getting the resources to build these houses, putting them out there. But, you know, functionally... I mean, this just tickles my designer brain that, oh, it's not just like a building a house in other area control games. This probably has area control. Maybe it doesn't. It doesn't say anything about area control. But, I, you know, I look at a picture, I think, oh, it's an area control game where we're building houses to try and grab the land. But no, we build the houses so we can build because it means we can activate spaces on the board. But here's the thing. Uh, it then continues. Um, it effectively functions as a worker being placed, but triggering three spots at a time. Boom! I am there. I am into this. That is so cool. A board that is full of worker placement actions. And worker placements that get put between the worker placement actions. When I put it down, I activate three things. But it's a house. So I'm, I can only assume that once it's been built, it's not going away. So as the game goes on, there are fewer and fewer places to build. Fewer and fewer opportunities to um, you know trigger the absolutely perfect combination of three different actions. Oh my god, that sounds so brilliant! And, again, with just a simple little thing where they describe it from my perspective as a player. Why is it interesting that it's a worker? Oh, and I, and I can just fill in the blanks myself. This is a brilliant example. Sorry, folks. I, I don't know why I just stay on this, but I, I just got to give credit where credit's due. Whoever wrote that description for Ragusa did a great job at capturing my imagination. It's a cool idea. Uh, the designer has a good pedigree. I'm very down for Ragusa. Then let's move on to Res Arcana. The exact opposite. The description says nothing about this game. It's some kind of high fantasy. You're making potions and doing casting spells. That's all it says. So I was almost inclined to completely ignore it until I looked a bit closer and noticed that the designer is Tom Lehman, Mr. Race for the Galaxy. Okay, Tom has, as far as I know, not really done any kind of high fantasy game ever. Um, and his designs are always super duper smart. 
And this is like a totally new thing. This is not him revisiting games he's done before. So I'm down. Um, Rezar, if, if, the, if there had been any kind of description of the gameplay, this could have pushed into my top 25. It, I, I, it couldn't, because I don't know anything about it, but I'm there anyway because of Mr. Lehman. All right. Okay, now let's move on to Revolution 1828, which is going to be the next game from Stefan Feld. And you guys all know, I am a... Uh, a uh, oh, somebody said it. I, I always call myself a... a uh, a Feld fanboy, but somebody said I'm a I'm a Stefan boy or a Stefan boy. Uh, it, it was better in writing, yeah, because I am a Stefan Feld fanboy. I'm a, a Stefan boy. I love everything he's done. I mean, not all his games have worked for me in Gen, but I've always thought they were brilliant. I have filmed every single vid- game he's ever made, uh, including the soccer one that nobody's ever played. So I got to get this game and play it, right? Why is it not in my top twenty-five? Because. Uh, it looks like it's going to be an incredibly aggressive, uh, confrontational, screw your opponent, destroy them, kind of take that game. Um, it is all about uh, the political scene in America in 1828. Uh, there's smear campaigns aplenty just trying to ruin each other, and that makes me so sad. Because on the one hand, I want to play the latest Feld. On the second hand, I'm absolutely confident we are not going to like it. Heck, even Paolo, the guy who does my um, brilliantly, keeps me on track and notes all of my mistakes on the Klingon channel on my videos, he told me that uh, we are not going to like it. It's very good, but it's a super nasty area area majority game, so he's pretty sure we're not going to like it. But I still got to play it. I still got to try it, but yeah. Um, A very rare thing. A Feld game not making my top 25. Crazy, I know, but still, I'll be on the lookout for Revolution of 1828. Okay, then we've got Rome. And this is the latest game from Ryan Lockett. I'm assuming it is set in his Lockett first. It's not a big game. Um, you know, a, b- a big, sprawling, uh, ambitious game like Above and Below or Islebound or... Or most of his games. This is a smaller one, a uh, you know, a, a, a simpler one. It's an area control game where a bunch of cards, tarot-sized cards, are laid out, represent the area, and we're trying to grab them. And once some the card gets filled up, we take the card and we turn it over and add it to ourselves. I like that idea that I don't know exactly what I'm getting until I've actually claimed the area, and then I turn it over and see what's on the other side of the card. If that's how it works, that sounds pretty neat. But uh, who are we kidding? I just want to get it because it's Ryan Lockett's art. And Ryan Lockett's art on tarot card-sized cards? Yes, please! Let's check out Rome, shall we? Okay. Then we've got Scotland Yard. Das Würfelspiel, which is German for the dice game. And okay. We tried Scotland Yard back in the early days of our modern board gamedom, you know, in 2009. And hated it. Oh, just thought it was so primitive and crappy. Just awful. I mean, I guess it made sense. I mean, what? It came out in the 70s, right? So, sure, it's understandable that it's very primitive by modern board game standards. And I, I, guess, I guess it's got its, uh, its fans. I'm really sad I never got a chance. A few years ago, uh, Robinsberger put out a Scotland Yard that used an app that did um, augmented reality stuff. That looked so cool, but they never released it in English, so I never got to play that one. Uh, I don't know if they're ever going to release this one, but hey, it's a dice game, so it's got to be a lot easier. And how does a hidden movement game work with dice? What does that even mean? I don't know, but I'm interested to find out. Uh, So bring on Scotland Yard, the dice game, and hopefully they'll make an English version, unlike, so sadly, uh, the uh, Scotland Yard that used an app earlier. Oh, well. Next up, we've got 
Seventh Cross. I think this has been on my anticipated list for like three or four years now. It just keeps taking forever. I don't know what's taking so long. Uh, but I, I got to assume that means it's going to be very well tested and very solidly designed by the time it comes out. Apparently, it's got a big storybook. You know, these are becoming more the norm these days. And Jen and I love them. We love opening up and reading uh, passages to each other. But it's kind of a... What did I write all those years ago? A NetHack-style dungeon crawl. And if you don't know what NetHack is, that means it's um, you know randomly generated dungeons that are very just... To the point, running around, killing monsters, trying to get loot as fast as possible. Um, and if you don't get enough loot, you cannot stay alive because you need that loot to deal with the next monster. Uh, you know, kind of like a, uh, 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 you know, like a little death and destruction engine you build for yourself based on your character leveling up all of that. But oh, and the other thing I wrote all those years ago. Apparently, it features a 3D board. All these years later, I still don't know anything about it, and there's still very little to say. Um, but. Maybe this will be the year, finally, for 7th Cross. Snowdonia this year is getting a deluxe master set. Now, I already effectively have that, because I've got probably 90% of all the Snowdonia promos and whatnot that have come out over the year. There's just a few more I need. So what do I do? Do I get rid of my almost complete Snowdonia collection and just get the master set that has everything all in one box? Or do I just try to seek out those last few promos? I don't know, but either way... I've talked about it many, many, many times. Snowdonia is a brilliant, one of the best worker placement games of all time. It's in my top 10 worker placement games of all time. Absolutely wonderful game of resource collection to basically build a rail line over the Snowdonia Mountains, which are literally represented by your board. Uh, really clever. So uh, still stands up against the best of what's coming out today. Uh, Snowdonia, absolutely brilliant. And the Deluxe Master Set, oh yeah, baby. I wonder if this is coming out in time for its 10th year anniversary. Let's look. When did Snowdonia first come out? Because it's been out for a while. It came out in... Oh, that's the... Uh, Master Set, where's the link to the original Snowdonia? Because it re Alrighty. Snowdonia. S-N-O-Donia. I will look it up. Snowdonia came out in 2012. So no, it's not the 10th anniversary. How many things am I missing on Snowdonia? Um, uh, Bersha, Zugspitzbahn, and Seasons, Rolling Stock... Oh my god. Actually, hold on a second. Um, plus, I still need North Pole... Great Bridge Scrapyard, Lloyd Mayer's State Coach, Puffing Billy, Battle Puppy Express, Supply Wagon Cannon, Miss Larkin's Washing Machine, uh, Candace Camille, Share and Share Alike, and uh, Savos Lions Promo Card. Oh my god, I, I, there's still a lot of promos I need. I thought I was doing much better than that. All right, maybe that's it. Maybe it's time to dump my current collection and get with the new uh, next year for the Deluxe Master. <laughs> oh, I thought I was doing better than that. Anyway, uh, let's move on. To Solomon Kane. I have to admit, I completely ignored this when it was on Kickstarter. And it was another one of those big multi-million dollar super success because, hey, we're a big sprawling adventure game with a lot of minis. And I looked at it and I said, ah, that's just not Jensen my thing. Why would we play this when we could just play Gloomhaven? But I have since discovered that Solomon Kane is a very interesting proposition because... This is not a game where everybody gets their own little character and they're running around the board, killing a bunch of bad guys, getting loot, leveling up, all of that. There's nothing wrong with that, but um, you know, I, I always worry that, that you know the Ameritrash versions of those are just never something that really captures Jens in my imagination. Here's the deal: in Solomon Kane, you do not play as Solomon Kane and his group of sidekicks as you run around and fight stuff. You actually play as one of the four virtues. What are the virtues? I got to look it up. Remember, one was. 
was it patience or temperance? Um, let's see. The four virtues are courage, prudence, temperance, and justice. So I might be playing as the spirit of justice, and you might be playing as the spirit of prudence. And that means we are working together to help Solomon who is just our one character that we're all concerned about, travel through the world, deal with violent um, you know, uh, combat against demons, but also solving morality problems and, and um, you know, overcoming whatever obstacles that come his way. But we don't directly control him. We just kind of influence him based on who we are. Um, I don't know how that works. I don't need to know how that works. That is such a cool and original approach. I really want to try this. So um, I contacted the publisher and they said, yep, no problem. We'll send you out a copy. So I'm very excited to check this out when it comes out later this year. I'm always in love with publishers who take risks and don't just do the same old, same old, but want to give us something really cool and different. Maybe it'll fail miserably. I don't know. But I got to find out more about Solomon Cain. After that, we've got Space Gate Odyssey. Okay, this is mostly a Vincent Dutre artwork must-have it because it's going to be gorgeous looking game kind of thing. That's why I'm here. It is from designer um, Cedric uh, Lefbrevre. Sorry, I don't know how to say your name. It's very... You do not have enough vowels in your last name, Cedric. Um, and... You know, he's not the most well-known designer, but hey, he did do a little game a few years ago called Yggdrasil, which is still very, very loved by a lot of people as one of the uh, first co-op games that came out. You know, that kind of rode on the success of Pandemic before co-op games were incredibly common. Now, I have to admit, Jen and I, we've played Yggdrasil several times, and it's good. But it's not great, but it's good. It's really good. However, we've also played Shiteno, which also came out in 2011. And that was actually a very good game. We didn't keep it because, at the end of the day, I split you choose style games just don't work for me in gen. But anyway, Yggdrasil and Shiteno were two very good games. Very solid, well-designed games. Um, so, he's back after a long, um, silent, uh, uh, with, uh, you know, uh, you know, a long drought. And he's got art from Vincent Dutre. Although, again, it's a tiling game, so I don't know how much of Vincent's art will actually show up in the game. Maybe, again, it's just going to be mostly about the beautiful box cover. I don't know. But it's it's Vincent's uh, art that brought me here. The description doesn't really give me much to go on. It's, it's very long and yet not very good at explaining what makes the game special. But it's... I don't know. I'm interested. I'm interested. I, I have fond memories of trying Shiteno and Yggdrasil. Even though they won't work for us, maybe third time will be the, chard, or be the charm. So, Space Gate Odyssey stays on the list. Then we've got this one I don't understand at all. Space Race. Now, I've already done a run-through for Space Race, the card game. And I've actually done a run-down for um, the first expansion that came out for Space Race, the card game. Now, we're getting Space Race. Which I assume, because it's dropped the card game, means it's really Space Race, the board game. So, okay, that's cool. I'm interested because Space Race, the card game, is really, really good. Watch my run-through to find out why. Uh, it basically is a card game that does it, it does race for the galaxy type things, but in a very, very different, very cool, very unique way. And um, it was about you know the early days of man's race to space. Uh, you know, and it's full of all kinds of real historical things, but you end up uh, mixing them up in really cool ways. Liked it a lot. 
I read the description for Space ba- Space Race, which again, I'm going to call Space Race the board game, although they don't call it that. I mean, when I first saw this, I thought, oh, this must be another expansion for Space Race the card game, and they just didn't give it a, a subtitle yet. But it's not. It's a board game based on it. But I read the description, and it sounds like verbatim the description of the card game. So I don't understand this at all. But I'm putting it on the list because Space Race the card game is really good. I don't know. I don't know. Will it replace it? It's certainly going to come in a bigger box, and I like that Space Race the card game comes in a little tiny box. So I'm confused. I don't understand. Um, The developers have not done a good enough job of explaining what makes this unique. But I'm interested. I'm going to say I anticipate it until I find out. No, it is literally the exact same game the card game was. We've just repackaged it and put it in a bigger box, at which point suddenly I won't care. But on the other hand, if... Like New Frontiers, which is basically Race for the Galaxy, the board game. It fundamentally takes the core concept, but does new and interesting different things. Well, I'm very interested in that. So, anyway, for now, Space Race is on the list. Oh my gosh, my throat. It's going to explode. But I'm almost done. I'm almost done. How many more do I have? Oh, just a few more, and then we I can break when we go to expansions. Okay, so, power through, power through. Tang Garden. This was on Kickstarter last year. At the time, I did not have... the. Uh, We were way too busy with our move to be able to cover it, but I heard really great things. And the end result looks so beautiful. And it's from co-designers of Xion and Signori. That is a great design duo. So, it's probably going to be one of the prettiest games that come out in 2019, or one of the prettiest Euros anyway. Great design pedigree. Tang Garden. Going to be there no matter what. Tiny Towns. Don't know much about this. This is another really terrible description. It doesn't give a good idea, but it's from AEG. More often than not, they put out good games, I think. And I have certainly loved over the found over the last few years, Jen and I love city building games where we have a very, very tiny space to work in. You know, I'm thinking of Quadropolis. I'm thinking of Warsaw. Um, or uh, now it's called Warsaw. Before it was called Capital. Um, you know, I'm thinking of Small City. Or no, not small city, town center. The tinier you make the town I've got to build, the more intrigued I am because it really makes it hard to come up with, you know, to solve the puzzle. So they called it Tiny Towns. And from looking at the screenshot, it looks like a very tiny, I think it was a 4x4 grid. So I'm there solely based on the promise of the title. (laughs) And the pedigree of the developer, to be fair. Okay, Uh, Vampire the Masquerade Heritage. This is a legacy game. So you know how much I love legacy games. Why is it not in my top 25? Because it's a legacy game. And by the way, um, you know this didn't make it last year like it was supposed to. But it's a legacy game based on Vampire the Masquerade. Which it was one of the first CCGs after Magic the Gathering. And I did actually play Vampire the Masquerade back in the day. It was one of the first games that made me realize, yeah, I don't really like... I'm really not that keen on trying to destroy my opponents. So we, we have, although it required a minimum of three players, if I recall, it didn't work for us for a number of reasons. But, you know, the old game had a lot of fighting. CCGs had a lot of fighting. So I don't like that. If Vampire the Masquerade stays true to its heritage, where it's all about political machinations, but, you know, direct player conflict, probably not for us. But, although I have to admit, Maybe I'm remembering it wrong, folks. I mean, it's been so long. Correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not. Maybe Vampire the Masquerade, the old CCG, didn't have a lot of direct player conflict, but I'm pretty sure it did. But that those days are very blurry for me now. Um, I had so I, I bought every CCG that came out back in the day. It was crazy. I've still got boxes of BattleTech, um, you know, in storage. It's absolutely insane. The Tomb Raider CCG I've got. Ugh. Anyway, um, so 
I'm interested because it's a legacy game. I love legacy. I love the idea of a legacy applied to a card game. Um, so we just get to modify cards. But I don't want player dueling. But the description for this game on BoardGameGeek is very long. And it mostly just talks about setting, about you know how this is a game that spans centuries because we're immortal vampires. Okay, that's all cool. And it just talks about how all we're trying to do is achieve objectives and complete goals. Okay, that's cool. At no point anywhere does it get make any mention of players directly attacking each other. So maybe there isn't any. And maybe I want to play this game. I don't know. They've done an absolutely terrible job of explaining what the game is. So the fact that it's a legacy means it stays on the list. Otherwise, I would have completely summarily ignored it based on its past. But for now, Vampire the Masquerade Heritage does, does live on. Well, hey, they're immortal, right? So Victorian Masterminds is next. This is a worker placement game where we are evil masterminds, Moriarty type, trying to take over Victorian London because Sherlock Holmes has disappeared mysteriously. There have been other sub, uh, games that topic this, that, that tackle this subject matter. You know, we're evil masterminds, we send our minions out. Okay, that's cool. What makes this interesting is it is a team up between Antoine Bauza and Eric Lang. It has been in development for a long, long, long time. It is coming from Cool Mini or Not, so I suspect it will have a very wonderful and lavish production. So, yeah. Uh, maybe it's going to be great. I have to admit, I think Eric Lang's designs are always very clever, but they never really work for me in Gen. Is that true? Have I ever kept any Eric Lang game? Now I must test that, even though I'm running on fumes. Wait, no, I've got, I've still got some water. Let me drink my last bit of water here. Mm. Mm. While looking up Eric Lang to see, while I thought all of his games were good, did, were any of them keepers for us? No, 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 no. All right, sort by rank. Blood Rage, no. Rising Sun, no. Arcadia Quest, no. Chaos in the World, no. Lord of the Rings, Confrontation. Did he? I actually like that, but Jen didn't, which is weird. Should have been the opposite way. Dice Masters, oh, God, no. Star Wars Cargo, no. XCOM. XCOM! It wasn't for Jen, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, so... Eric has an incredibly strong pedigree of games. He is an incredibly well-loved designer. I mean, so much so that Cool Mini or Not basically hired him as their full-time creative director overseeing the development of all games. So who knows? Maybe Victorian uh, Masterminds is going to be his last game ever because he's too busy um, overseeing the development of everything else that Cool Mini or Not puts out. I don't know. Maybe that's the case. Um, So I'm going to try it. I'm going to keep trying. Because one of these days, one of Eric's games is going to be a hit with us, and maybe this will be the one. And you know what? I could say almost the exact same thing for Antoine Bauza. Like, no, that's not true. No, I was thinking of Bruno Cathala. Antoine Bauza, on the other hand, is Mr. Seven Wonders. So, boom, done. Okay, let's check out Victorian Masterminds if it finally makes it out this year, which is a big if because it's been a long time in coming. 2016 is the first time I actually put it on one of these anticipated lists. So, maybe, maybe not. Next up, Villagers. Another game that was on Kickstarter last year. They contacted me. I just couldn't do it because I was too busy. And I really regret it because, man, um, everybody raved about this game. It did very well on Kickstarter, if I recall correctly. So I'm going to try and correct that mistake in the new year and see if I can play the final one for you. Um, but, hey, it's a it's a tableau building thing where um, citizens all have their own unique abilities and you're trying to create, if I recall correctly, kind of a pyramid of villagers that all interact with each other to create things. You know, kind of, kind of, maybe look to me a little bit like Helvetia the card game. 
Maybe, a little bit. I don't know. I'm definitely interested in checking it out. I love the art style. Very spare, very minimalistic, very charming. So, Villagers, definitely looking forward to that. And um, last one, before I can take another break, folks. Yinsi, the Shining Ming Dynasty. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the designers Costa and Rola. I don't know why. They don't have full names. They're kind of like Madonna and Prince of the board game industry because they will only be known as Costa and Rola, this design team. They've never put out anything before, but this year they're putting out two games. And one of them is Yinsi, the Shining Ming Dynasty, coming from Spielworks, which is another great developer that puts out sharp game after sharp game. Uh, Spielworks seems to have a, a real strong pedigree for finding games that you know other developers might have turned up their nose and then producing... Hey, this is really cool. This one has something to do. It's a euro. It's a euro economic thing about the early silver trade in China. Don't know much about it. I'm really more interested because hey, these guys, Costa and Rolla, in the same year got the attention of Spielworks and the attention of What's Your Game, which is one of my favorite publishers of all time. Uh, and their other game, which I talk about in my top 25, is one of my most anticipated games of the year. But I'm still interested in this one. This is a really auspicious debut for these two guys. Very, very cool. So that's it. With the letter Y, I have finished the alphabetical portion of my main games of interest, except for the top 25, which are coming later. So um, this was what? Um, I think I think that was 45 additional games. And now I'm going to take another break, folks, because we're not done. Now I got to talk about a bunch... I think it was like 13 or 14 expansions. Then I got to talk about another 10 or so games I've already done run-throughs for. And then we'll be back for the Top 25 Countdown. Hang on, everybody. I need some more water. I'll be right back. Okay, everybody. I am fortified. I got another glass of water here. And I also had some of Jen's really weird dark chocolate that she gets from Ikea. Which is nowhere near as good as the stuff we used to be able to get at, was it Waitrose or Sainsbury's back in the UK? But it'll do in a pinch. So let's move on to expansions! And then we'll be done. No, we will not be done. We'll be almost done. The, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Will I be able to make it? I'm crawling on my knees trying to get through these. So let's go! With Baron Park. Die Grizzlies in Los! Which is German for the Grizzlies are loose. Um... I wouldn't have expected an expansion for Baron Park, which is a wonderfully little self-contained game. Doesn't need one. It's such a great tile layer. Great replayability right out of the gate. But hey, I'm not going to turn away more. And Grizzly Bears! Apparently the interesting thing about them is their pens that you put into your little uh, bear reservation are bigger than all the other ones. And so because we're, uh, because we're now taking up all the space with these Grizzlies, our bear parks themselves get bigger, which is interesting. And apparently also, now that the bear parks are so much bigger, we need to install monorails, which creates more puzzly uh, layout problems to solve. So that all sounds cool. I generally don't know if it's necessary, but hey, I'm glad more is coming. That's great. With Baron Park, the Grizzlies in Los. Plus, it's just fun to shout in German that the Grizzlies are loose. Alrighty. Um, next up, we have Dice Forge Rebellion. Oh, I'm so happy for this. Because Dice Forge is a brilliant game, and as I said at the time in my run-through, the only thing it's missing is more cards, so there's more variety. There just wasn't quite enough. It was like buying the original starter box of Dominion, but only a third of the cards were there from the get-go. But this looks like it's going to add a lot of stuff. And all I wanted was more cards, but I was surprised to find uh, it's also going to add new die faces, so we have different dice we can snap on. That's really, really cool. 
Um, and then, if all that weren't enough, they didn't have to do this, but I love the fact that they designed the expansion box itself so that it can um, join up seamlessly with the box from the original game. Because if you recall from my run-through, one of the lovely little touches, it wasn't necessary, but in Dice Forge, the box itself is a prop that is part of the uh, overall design. I hear the phone ringing. Oh, am I going to go get it? Nah, it's probably a sales call trying to sell us a back brace. They will not leave us alone. How can I get off this stupid back brace calling list? Oh, should I go get it? No, no, no. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. They'll leave a message if it's important. So anyway, uh, Dice Forge Rebellion, I love the fact that the box was used in the first one, and now the expansion box can be used as well. That is a great attention to detail on that wonderful dice-building game, Dice Forge. Next up, Dungeon Alliance Champions. Uh, every deck builder needs an expansion or two to keep on adding more and more and stuff. And oh my god, from reading the description, this adds so many cards, so many new ideas. But probably the most important thing it adds sounds like, is big, epic uber-bosses to face at the end of your dungeon plunder, which is very much appreciated. Uh, then Homesteaders, New Beginnings. This is a big deal. Jen and I loved Homesteaders, but it had zero setup variability, and so we got rid of it. And for the longest time, TMG said, yeah, we're never going to be able to do an expansion, because it's just not going to happen. But it's happening, and it promises unique setup variability on one of the best auction games that ever came out, uh, and a brilliant design for two-player auctions as well. A must-see, and so I'm super excited now. Although i got to go out and get another copy of Homesteaders, but New Beginnings, wow, that is a perfectly titled expansion. Then, Manhattan Project Energy Empire Cold War. Now, Manhattan Project was so good as a worker placement game, it punched its way into my top 20, something very, very rare these days. Absolutely amazing game. Um, one of the best worker placement games of all time. Right up there. Probably Eclipses Snowdonia. I don't remember if I had played it when my top 10 worker placement games came out, but it would definitely probably take my number one spot as the best worker placement game of all time. Probably. Oh, did I hear Mom knocking on the door? Mom, are you out there? Nope. Must have been my imagination. Thought maybe she answered the phone. Gotta get through this. Okay. Plowing on. Um, Because I don't want to edit. So, uh, Energy Empire gets a new expansion. Here's the thing. Based off the title, oh, that we're entering the Cold War. War is in the title. And the description says, more opportunities than ever for player interaction. That's like a red flag for me and Jen. And so I mentioned that in my um, thing here, because it doesn't really say much. It just says, oh, there'll be more interaction and more stuff. And like, oh, I don't want that, because the original Manhattan Project had too much player interaction. I thought it was going to bring those ideas from Manhattan Project into Energy Empire. But um, somebody did post to the Geek List. I guess he must have played it. Must be a tester for it or something like that. There are no take that ex There are no take that's in the expansion. Here's an example of more interaction. Use the building of another player. He gains a dollar. Now, fair enough. That's cool. That sounds nice. Unless I do that not because I want to do the action so much as I know it's absolutely crucial for them to be able to do that action, and I can stop them from doing that, and all they get is a measly dollar. I don't know. Michael, I hope you're right. I'm still a little worried. But I'm still intrigued, because Manhattan Project Energy Empire is one of the best worker placement games of all time. So, of course, got to check out the expansion, Cold War. Next up, Mystic Veil vale Harmony. More cards! Hooray! And actually, I was reading the description. I mean, I don't, I didn't even need to, but I read the description anyway because just more cards or more card shards, I guess you'd call them, is enough. But they also have a cool idea um, in, in the game. You know, it's a push your luck game, and if you push your luck and you spoil, you get a little benefit, which is basically more mana you can pay in the future. That's always been nice. But when playing with Jen, I've noticed it's rarely 
enticing enough for her to push her luck. I love pushing luck. I I probably win more often than not because she's too cautious and never does it, and I do. And because she just she just thinks the reward, the potential is not there enough. They've added, I forget what they're called, amulets or something like that, which now, if you spoil, i.e. you push your luck and you bust, not only do you get more... Um, uh, mana, but you activate a special power on your unique amulet that you can use in the future. So I'm really excited about that, in addition to just more content, because now maybe Jen will play it the way it's supposed to be played. Come on, Jen, push your luck, push it, push it, push it good with Mystic Veil vale Harmony. Okay, then Railways of Portugal. Um, this is interesting. Last year, or was it the year before, Hiyashi Hisashi did Railways of Nippon. Um, and I love this. Uh, you know, Designers from around the world are doing Railways of the World expansions based on their home um, countries. That's awesome. And the designer they got for Portugal, who else? But Vita Lasarda. Um, that is amazing. And I was reading the description, and it sounds like this is not just another map. They He has really added new things, like um, seafaring routes, new special types of routes, lots of additional cards that change things up. Very excited. This might, Oh, and it's also a very small, tight map, i.e. good for two players. This might be the best expansion ever for Railways of the World. Very stoked about that. Then, role players, friends and familiars. I have to admit, or I'm sorry, not friends, fiends and familiars. I'm not excited about the fiends. As I said in my video I did for the first expansion, Monsters and Minions, I was not excited about the monsters. Adding a role to resolve just really was kind of ho-hum for me and Jen. It worked. It was okay. I see why a lot of people love it, but for us it was like, eh. The game did not need this. This is actively almost detracts from the core brilliance of the dice drafting puzzle that is role player. So I'm not excited about the fiends, but I am excited about the familiars. Because now it's another thing we can build our characters with. Um, in addition to all the other equipment, we can get, I don't know, pets. Can we get a dog? Can we get a cat? Can we get an owl? Can we get a frog? I don't know. But just that in of itself. Um, just more content for the base game. And I, we can probably take or leave the fiends. Maybe the role to resolve will be downplayed a little bit. I doubt it, because like I said, I think me and Jen were in the minority. Most people loved it. But more role players is a good thing, right? Okay, moving on. Time Stories. Uh, in theory, is getting three expansions next year. Although chances are only two of them will be released in English. The first one should be within the next month or two. Time Stories Madam. And then probably later in the year, Time Stories The Hadal Project. Now here's the thing. And I talked about this when I just did uh, just a few weeks ago. I did Time Stories Brotherhood of the Coast, the most recent one. Apparently, Time Stories Madam is the end of the what is called the White Storyline. And what that means is, throughout Time Stories, you know, you go on individual missions, you know, jumping through different time um, uh, periods and going in and solving problems and fixing the timeline and all that because we're from the future. You know, very quantum leap style stuff. But in the background, there has always been this meta story of what's going on in the future and these warring factions trying to vie for control of time and um, strange mystical goings on and all kinds of things. And they've only just dropped hints here and there. Actually, there's a lot more information, but only if you go to the Time Stories, uh, uh, what's it called? The Time Chronicle website, I think, where it gives you tons of really cool behind-the-scenes stuff. It's a real shame for players who only play the games and don't read all that extra content, because there's a lot going on. And apparently, Madam will tie up the white storyline. And, um, and so that'll be really interesting. And uh, somebody said somewhere... 
the debate, you know, they have advanced information. Apparently, it's already out in French, so apparently people already know that it breaks time story. It fundamentally changes the nature of time stories. And for my money, that could be a very good thing. The next one, the Haddle Project, becomes the first chapter in what is going to be called the Blue Storyline. They're called White and Blue because, so far, every expansion that's come out for Time Stories came in a white box. All the new storyline stuff will come in a blue box. And it'll be the beginning of a new story. Although the white storyline ends on a cliffhanger, apparently, so you'll want to continue going into the new storyline. But what I'm really intrigued by both of these is... What changes are in store for the core formula? I mean, going all the way back to my original run-through of it, I've been complaining about certain elements of the game. And I'm hoping the developers will finally take this opportunity to finish the first epic chapter of the Time Stories saga. And when they start the next one, things will be different and things will be better. We will see. Time will literally tell with Time Stories, Madam, and the Hadal Project. And apparently a third one that doesn't have a name yet, but probably will only be available in French. Um, Anyway, so let's move on to Thunderstone Quest. Barricades and What Lies Beneath. Two different expansions. One of them is very important. Barricades, because that adds cooperative play to Thunderstone Quest. And this, uh, I've got my Thunderstone Quest. Jen and I played it. We thought it was nice. We didn't think it was anywhere near as good as old Thunderstone, the original Thunderstone. But we figured, okay, well, let's wait, because this co-op could be amazing. So let's wait and see. And so we're waiting and seeing. I cannot wait for the Barricades mode. If it turns out to be great, then hey, let's get What Lies Beneath as well, which will be more content that we can play with co-op. So, I I wait with bated breath for Barricades Mode and What Lies Beneath in Thunderstone Quest. And then, okay, just three more, all out of order alphabetically. Zanguo Expansion, Madeira Expansion, and Railroad Revolution Expansion. Three expansions. They were all, as I understand, it's supposed to come out last year, but they didn't make it. They're all from What's Your Game. And What's Your Game is not necessarily known for expanding their older games. They've done it some, but this is a really crazy thing. Three of their their biggest, best, most well-loved games all getting expansions. And as of today, almost no information about what those expansions will offer. So that's all very interesting. Uh, Somebody did post here, they must be in the know, that there's going to be Kickstarters for second edition uh, versions of Madeira and Zhangguo, and that I guess these expansions will be wrapped into that. I don't really know. Uh, Don't take that as gospel. That's just some guy named Marco, or Jedi, Jed One Knight. Um, So we'll see. But hey... Uh, you know, Railroad Revolution and Madeira and Zanguo, those are all phenomenal games. I don't know that they need expansions. They were all crazy big and complex. I mean, actually, I guess Railroad Revolutions, I'm very excited about that one. But Madeira and Zanguo, they felt pretty complete. So it'll be interesting. So anyway, that's it. What's your game? A big triple uh, expansion release this year. Okay, done with expansions. Let's power through. Now I'm going to talk about 16 games. I'm not going to talk about them at great length because I've already done videos for them. You can go watch the videos. They were all on Kickstarter last year. They should be coming out this year. Starting with the Crusoe Crew. I talked about this a while ago. As time goes on, we are finding more cool and interesting ways to... um, present escape room in your home experiences. Crusoe Crew has to be one of the coolest ways yet because it's an escape room in the form of comic books. And everybody gets their own separate comic book with unique pages and unique panels. And everybody has to work cooperatively. It was absolutely brilliant. Jen and I had so much fun just kicking back on the couch playing this game. Um, although we had a really crappy um, inkjet printout. So I, we, uh, we, we didn't finish them because, uh, I mean... Uh, uh, but anyway, 
Crusoe crew, definitely be on the lookout for it. Seems very, very nice. Uh, Detective City of Angels. And yeah, Detective City of Angels is a brilliant game of deduction and mystery solving. Think uh, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, except one player is the actual criminal actively working to try to stop the uh, detectives from figuring things out. But the interesting thing is, the detectives can interrogate the criminal player. And the criminal has to decide when is a smart time to tell the truth and when is a smart time to lie. Brilliant, brilliant game. Um, and works well for two as well. Detective City of Angels. Then we've got Diceborn Heroes. As I said when I did my run-through, this is basically Gloomhaven the dice game. And I still stand by that. The only problem is, it's over a year late. It's been super delayed. Hopefully this is the year it makes it out. Fingers crossed for the first time developer-designer of Diceborn Heroes. Dominations, Road to Civilization. I only got to play this a little bit at UK Games Expo last year, but I was really impressed. Um, one of the rarest of rarities, a big, epic, you know, multi-era spanning civilization building game that doesn't have a lot of warfare and take that. It does include armies and warfare, but they are not ones that are all about, I will crush you and steal all your stuff. Uh, instead, they are kind of like Nations, although they do it a radically different way. Nations has warfare, where there's competition through military might, but it doesn't. It isn't about destroying um, you, it's about letting me get ahead. And Dominations did that in a very, very cool domino tile-laying style approach with triangular dominoes, really cool. Can't wait to play the, the final game with Jen, because I didn't get a chance to play it with her at UK Games Expo. Dreamscape is a lovely little, largely abstract game of traveling through dreams to collect resources to build our own custom dreams, uh, which basically means getting colored discs and building them is like 3D um, uh, sculptures that uh, you know represent beautiful dreams that we're trying to create for ourselves. Beautiful and very atmospheric, in spite of the fact that it's a a uh, abstract game largely, but really sweet and charming. Dreamscape, Exploriana. An excellent era of exploration in the, the darkest jungles of South America and uh, Africa and where was it? oh in, in Asia as these European explorers um, you know find all kinds of cool artifacts and what you know do all the stuff that you know turns out was really not the coolest thing. But putting aside the setting, the push your luck gameplay in here is really smart. This is definitely a cut above your average push your luck game because you're pushing your luck on three different tracks at the same time and trying to decide where to, you know, what basket to put all your eggs in, in a push-your-luck kind of way, was really clever. We both really liked Exploriana a lot. Heroes of Tenefer um, was a... Which one was this? Oh, this was a really clever fantasy cooperative... No, was it cooperative? Was it cooperative? No, I think it was competitive. Deck builder. Um where, yeah, basically we were racing through a bunch of different decks of cards um, to beat monsters in them. And if we beat the monsters, we get to flip the monsters and they become... No, no, and it was cooperative. That's right. Oh my gosh, it's been so long since I played. I've played so many games since then. But it was really sharp. Or maybe it was one where you could play either way. You could play it co-op or competitive. Oh, I have to look now. Let me look. Mostly, I just remember the deck building it was really sharp. You beat a monster, you rotate the card 180 degrees, and then it becomes a new element of your deck. And you got to get through. I mean, but there's all these piles of deck that represents the different dungeons. When are we strong enough to go to the next? Yes, that's right. It was cooperative because we had to. Okay, are we strong enough to together make it through the next dungeon? Because we got to make it all the way to the big top, 
top dungeon before time runs out. It was really a very clever and fresh take on deck building. We liked it a lot. Heroes of Tenefer. Incoming Transmission. This is another one of those cooperative games. I've talked about this in the past. This kind of new movement of cooperative games where we have imperfect information. I can give you some information about what you need to do because I'm Mission Control down on Earth. You are alone up in the space station having to deal with the alien invasion and put out the fires and, and fix the broken equipment. But um, I I know what you need to do, I know where you need to go, but I can't tell you directly. All I can do is play hint cards, and if I play them smart and you figure out what I intend with those hint cards, you will hopefully go do the right thing. But if I'm not clear with my hints, you may go off into the deep end and the ship might blow up. Um, the incoming transmissions that I'm sending to you are super clever. This was a fun, fast little uh, puzzle game, incoming transmission. Two players only, if I recall correctly. Kung Fu Panda the board game. We are continuing to wait for what is basically the spiritual sequel to Escape Curse of the Temple and Escape Zombie City. Um, because it has the same roll dice as fast as you possibly can to get through a maze of bad guys fighting along the way. It features a lot more combat than either of those other games, but that's the, you know, the subject matter. But the, the, and some actually really clever stuff. Kind of this real-time rondelle you have to navigate. Every player has their own because it represents the different strengths and weaknesses of the different characters from the Kung Fu Panda franchise. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we've enjoyed our limited time with Kung Fu Panda, the board game. But hey, we enjoy... Uh, Escape, Curse of the Temple as well. Museum. Oh, this is beautiful. Over 200 unique pieces of art from Vincent Dutre. So how am I not going to love it? But it was also a really clever uh, a set collection card game too, where everybody's trying to make the best Victorian era or, you know, uh, turn of the century... Um, uh, what do you call it? Museum by collecting goods from all over the world. Very sharp, very clever. Uh, check out my run-through to see more. Netatonka. Like all of these, check out my run-through to see more. This was a very interesting, really clever and fresh take on worker placement. Um, because as you place workers on the board... Um, you create opportunities for other players to build uh, to place their workers next to you and um, you know take advantage of that. This is from the same designer as Shakespeare, which is an absolutely brilliant game as well. And it was a gorgeous presentation uh, and interesting too. I think it was a little bit um, controversial because it's a kind of a Native American. Uh, themed game, but it's not based on any one actual real tribe. It just combined elements of different tribes, including elements of Siberian Mongolian tribes as well, into this kind of pastiche. And, you know, they did it to try to be respectful, but some people took it the wrong... Now, I don't know. But uh, all that stuff aside, the gameplay itself was very, very good in Netatonka. Sees the Bean, a very, very cool deck builder, where your deck is not building up a bunch of actions that you can do in future rounds. You're running a coffee shop, and the deck you're building up is all of the customers who keep coming back to get more and more coffee. And the more successful you are, the more customers go into your deck, the harder it is to manage this deck of customers. And eventually you just got to piss them off and make them go away. But then you start getting bad reviews and really clever ecosystem. Um, and uh, yeah, again, check out my video for more. Sorcerer City, I talked about this earlier. Scott Caputo, maybe the master of tile layers. This is his real-time tile layer. Really neat, fun stuff, Jen. I liked it a lot. Stygian Society, a cube tower game, uh, like Shogun or Wallenstein, but one where players are not fighting against each other, but cooperatively fighting against monsters as they climb a tower. Really neat, clever stuff. Again, check out the video. A great co-op. And finally, um, oops, 
One more page, one more page, one more page, one more, one more, one more. Oh, the Doran Gardens. Neat little, um, oh, what was it? Oh, yeah, this was the, this was another one of those games like Honshu or Carson City, the card game, or Hanging Gardens, where we're building a grid of cards by playing cards on top of each other and partially covering up some to try and match symbols next to each other. This one was interesting because it had a sense of motion. We were building a path as we were walking the path. And it was just a fun, nice little puzzle uh, from the same de designer as City of Kings. Neat little game, Bedoran Gardens. And the last one. Folks, I made it to the end. Welcome to Dino World. Another roll and write, and I believe I said, and I would probably stand by this, the, the heaviest pure roll and write on the market. This one is a lot more brain burny than um, you know all the other ones that are out there. In a year, or in a couple of years of just this glut of roll and writes, well, this one stands out, one, because of the theme, a really nicely implemented, hey, build a Jurassic Park of your own, try to keep the dinosaurs contained and all that, but just overall, a heavier, more AP-inducing, thinky-thinky roll and write. Um, although, it's interesting, it's so heavy, it actually comes with the lighter family version you can play, um, you know, for people who are used to the normal level of complexity from roll and write. So that's Welcome to Dino World. I did it! Oh my gosh! Okay, folks, hold on a little bit, and you'll be able to come back, and you will get to listen to the Top 25 Countdown that I've already done. Again, if you've already seen it on YouTube, there's nothing to see here, and you might as well um, bow out now, and I'll say thanks for listening. Have a very nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. But if you haven't heard it yet, or hey, if you just want to hear it again, um, you can go on ahead and listen. But before we go, as always, folks, send in questions. We're a little low on questions. Jen's going to be back next month. And, um, you know, I'm sure she'll have stuff to say. I'm sure I'll have stuff to say. I'll have a couple of top tens. And I'll have some more games of interest, although nowhere near as many as this list was. And again, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, or hold on. Your choice in five, four, three, two, one. Bye-bye. Let's go on ahead and very carefully and delicately and gingerly climb up to my number 25, Steamopolis. Why am I excited about this? Well, it's not because of the art. The publisher hasn't released any yet. It's because of the designer, Gerhard Hecht, who previously gave us Kashgar Merchants of the Silk Road, which is an absolutely amazing game, one of my absolute favorites. It's a constant mainstay in my top... Uh, in my top 50 of all time, probably in my top 40 or even 30. A wonderful, wonderful game. And Gerhard hasn't really given us anything since. It's not quite true. He did a couple of games that kind of simplified the Kashgar system and applied them to different themes. But this is going to be his first totally new thing. All I know about it is it's engine building and it's steampunk. That's all I need to know. This I am super excited about because, man, his first game, Kashgar, was such an amazing accomplishment of design. I cannot wait to see what his sophomore effort is, and that's why this is the top of my list, number 25, Steamopolis. Now, let's move on to number 24, Imperial City. Okay, 
What's Your Game? The publisher is one of my favorite publishers of all time. They specialize in deep, rich, heavy euros uh, that aren't about flash, but are about depth. And I've always appreciated, even when they put out games that don't necessarily work for me in gen, we still marvel at their intricacy and their beauty uh, in terms of gameplay, elegance, and design. So, Imperial Century is going to be, as far as I know, their big new title of the year. They're also doing some expansions for some of their older games. That's over in page four. Again, I'll talk about that when I get to the podcast. But Imperial Century, well, I don't know much about it. And in all honesty, I'm not really that worried because I trust what's your game implicitly. It has something to do with you know an economic simulation about China during the first days of its silver trade. Uh, which, okay, that sounds cool, except that's totally not what it is, um, because, oh, I've gotten it mixed up. As I say right here, you can see this on the screen, What's Your Game has teamed up with a couple of new designers uh, who are putting out their first and second published games this year. The other game, which I'll talk about in the podcast, has to do with the silver trade in China. This one is about colonization, and the interesting thing about it from what the description, from what I could read is, unlike most era of colonization games, it really just focus on the colony itself and what you're doing out there. And the old world is just represented by, oh, send some goods back there every once in a while, Puerto Rico style. In this game, apparently, you have to divide your focus equally between the new world and the old world. That's very, very cool. I'm very interested in that. But the main reason I'm interested in it is not because of these two brand new designers. Although it's very, very cool that their first two games are being published by What's Your Game and Spielworks, two of the best Euro publishers in the industry. It's What's Your Game. This is their big new box title. I assume it'll be coming out at SN. I'm very excited for number 24, Imperial Century. Then on to number 23, Role Player Adventures. By the way, I should say, some of these games at the bottom of the list might have been higher on the list if the publishers could have been bothered to put some art in. Oh, I, 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 I just felt like you know the ones that have actually done the extra work have put screenshots of their prototypes and stuff like that, so there's something else to draw you in. I ended up ranking those higher in terms of anticipation. But don't get me wrong, all of these are really incredible. Role-player adventures probably would have made it quite a bit higher if there was... A, even a, a preliminary box cover art so I could look at it. But all that aside, I'm still super excited because this is a sequel to Role Player, which, if you're a longtime fan of the show, you know, Jen, I absolutely adore that very, very puzzly RPG uh, dice drafting game where we are trying to roll up the best fantasy adventure characters possible. Like we're about to start out a DD campaign. And the interesting thing about Role Player is at the end of the game, you're done. You've made a character, and whoever made the best character based on metrics and whatnot wins. You never get to do anything with those characters. That's where Roleplayer Adventures comes in. This is apparently a storybook, narrative-driven adventure, you know, sprawling across the countryside, going on quest type of thing. Apparently there's a strong element of morality-based decisions, which of course is very interesting to me, having worked on Fable and Fable 2. Um, but... The most important thing is, when you get role-player adventures, you, there will be rules that let you just make up a new character that you're going to do these adventures with, or you can import the characters you make in the original role-players. That, that meta connection between these two is so awesome. I cannot wait to try it out. I cannot wait to you know have like uh, two games back-to-back. -back. Okay, hey, let's roll up our characters in role-player. Now let's take them on some adventures in role-player adventures. So cool. Cannot wait to try this out. Number 23, role-player adventures. And then... Number 22, we have got 
Roam and Roll. This is a roll and write from uh, designer Dave Turchi. He's working with co-designer Nick Shaw. And uh, the last thing they gave us was last year's Dice Settlers, which was a phenomenal game. Really, really sharp dice bag building game. Uh, this one is more dice roll. I believe it's dice drafting, if I recall correctly. Um, you know, Tetris style puzzle pieces put together. But the main thing that gets me excited about this is I... Every time Dave Turchie puts out a new game, I am interested because he's constantly pushing new interesting directions, um, you know, taking old game design elements and twisting them on their head. And so far, I've been impressed by everything he's done. Now, it's a shame. Last year, I think a lot of people agree, was the big roll and write year for the board game industry. I imagine we'll still see some more roll and writes, but probably nothing quite as big as last year. There were so many of them and so many great ones. But hey... Late to the party? No big deal. Welcome to the party, pal. I am very excited about number two, 22, Roman Roll. Then we've got number 21. I think this is the first one that was actually on my list last year as well. Grim Heroes. I cannot wait for this game. I have been waiting for this game since 2011. Actually, that's not quite true. I've been waiting for this game ever since I got Ancient Terrible Things which I think I backed on the first Kickstarter for it. I'm not quite sure. But however long ago that was, Ancient Terrible Things came with a little ad in the box for our next game, Grim Heroes. But then the publisher went off and did a bunch of other stuff, a bunch of cool, interesting stuff. But I've been waiting forever to take the gameplay mechanisms of Ancient Terrible Things, a very unique twist on Yahtzee-style dice rolling and, and uh, resource management. But... Uh, applied to a fantasy universe. Apparently, a grim fantasy universe. I mean, you can just look at this art. I mean, this art is from 2011, and it looks so cool. I've wanted this game for so long. Hopefully, 2019 is going to be the year that we finally get my number 21 on the list, Grim Heroes. Then, on to number 20, Paladins of the West Kingdom. Um, Was it Builders of the West Kingdom? Was it Arno Architects of the West Kingdom came out last year um, from publisher Garp Hill, designer S.J. McDonald and um, Shem Phillips working together, and it blew up. It was a super hyped, very well received, really deservedly so because it was an incredibly clever, new, interesting twist on worker placement. Uh, plus, a really cool and dynamic world brought to life by the art of the Miko, one of my favorite. Uh, board game artist working today, and so here we have the sequel. I don't know much about the gameplay, but I'm expecting, uh, considering how crazy the and, and clever and fresh the Architects gameplay was, where your workers in a worker placement game could actually get arrested by other players and all kinds of neat stuff, I expect equally cool and interesting stuff from Paladins. I know this is effectively a sequel because, hey, we architected, we built the West Kingdom, now we have to defend it by recruiting all these Paladins to our side, can't wait to try it. It's going to be gorgeous. I'm sure it's going to be clever. And uh, hopefully it lives up to its predecessor, my number 20, Paladins of the West Kingdom. Then on to number 19, Arion. Now, designer Shady Torbay, I'm sorry if I'm getting your name wrong, Shady, has been very quietly pumping out year after year this wonderful series of solo or two-player cooperative uh, fantasy games uh, set in what is called the Oniverse, because the first game in the series was um, Onirim. 
And you know, since then we've had three or four, maybe five other games. Arion is the latest. And I have to say, every one of Shady's Oniverse games that I've played so far have been fantastic. They've been absolutely bonkers, brilliant, wonderful solo games. But I've always been impressed by how cleverly, with just a couple simple little rules tweaks or additions, they've been able to turn these solo games into really great couples, two-player cooperative games. Shady hasn't let me down yet, and so I expect Arion is going to be another fantastic continuation of this line. And the other thing about them that I absolutely love is publisher Z-Man, I'm not quite sure why, they have put so much love and attention into the craftsmanship of the uh, production of these games. The pieces are beautiful. Every time you open one of these Oniverse games, just opening the box is a delight because the game is packaged with like multiple layers that flip open. Uh, it's like every one of these is a Christmas package. I cannot wait to open. But then the game play lives up to it too. So I'm very excited for the next one, um, number 19 in the Oniverse series, Arion. Then uh, number 18. What have we got here, folks? Oh yeah, this is crazy. Uh, Sarah's Vision. Now this is another one that was actually on my anticipated list from last year. Didn't quite make it. Fingers crossed it'll make it this year. And um, last year, I didn't know much about it other than, well, the really striking box cover. I think that art is very, very nice. But also, just a high-level idea of what the gameplay was. This is a uh, Euro-style economic simulation set in the far future where post-scarcity has been achieved. It's a truly egalitarian society where no one wants for anything. Everybody is free to just you know, uh, pursue their own personal life goals. I mean, you know, that is a future that's coming. I'm very, very excited for that. I hope to live to see the beginnings of that. And uh, so it's a, it's a theme that really speaks to me, that really resonates with me. So I'm always interested in a game that covers that topic matter. Um, and so that's why I was on my list. When I saw it didn't come out and I put it back on the list, I found, oh, now there's an actual screenshot or kind of a, a rendering of what the game looks like. And what is this? A Jenga tower? There, it turns out, in addition to economic simulation type stuff, there's a dexterity element to this game as well. That is very, even more intriguing. I mean, what the heck is that doing here? I don't know. Um, but I have, in the past, seen games that are really ostensibly one thing, but then they introduce some kind of interesting, little quirky... Oh, what do you call it? Um... Can't think of the word. Some a little a quirky dexterity game inside of it, and it's always been something that's interesting. Like the most uh, prevalent one I can think of is Carnival Zombie, which I will be mentioning in the podcast because that's further on. Carnival Zombie's coming back this year, folks. In theory, if all goes to plan. But anyway, Sarah's Vision. I was already interested. Now I'm even more interested because I want to see how does a Jenga tower work in an economic simulation. Could be cool. Definitely want to check it out. Number eighteen, Sarah's Vision. Where does that title even come from? I don't know. I'm so interested. But now, moving on to number 17, The Ancient World 2nd Edition. Now, I've already done a run-through for The Ancient World. And I thought it was actually a very, very cool, clever take on worker placement with some very interesting ideas about how you can um, build armies to, you know, to great strength so they can go out and fight massive towering colossi. You can see one of them on the box cover here on the horizon. But over time, your army units will basically grow old and have to retire. And so managing that was really clever. I really love the base game. In fact, The Ancient World, I believe, is my number one ranked board art from designer artist Ryan Lockett, who is one of the best artists working in the industry. So everything about it was phenomenal, except the original game was way too cutthroat for me and Jen. 
And my understanding is this new second edition has gone back and um, tweaked with the gameplay to take out some of that kind of passive-aggressive stuff that you could do in the original game to great effect. So I love the basic game. Couldn't keep it because it was too, uh, wasn't Care Bear friendly enough. Will the second edition be? I hope so, which is why I'm so excited about 17, the Ancient World second edition. Then moving on, we have got, oh yeah, baby, Dale of Merchants collection. Now, just a few weeks ago, I put up my top 10 deck builders of all time. And Dale of Merchants made the list because this is such a brilliant, wonderful deck builder. Surely um, the uh, high watermark for deck builders that feature deck destruction, which is the notion of you spend a good deal of time in the game building your deck, but then you also, at some point or other, have to rip it apart and take stuff out. Stuff you could still be using in the deck, but that you need to pull out so that you can score points. Dale of Merchants does it beautifully. I have done videos for Dale of Merchants 1, 2, and 3, so you can go watch my old stuff to see why. This year, a collection that puts everything into one big massive box is available. Um, Real Grand Games, are you listening? Where's our, um, our massive super box for Dominion? It'd be a pretty big box, I know. But um, hey, Dale of Merchants is delivering great, great stuff. And um, you know, specifically, this collection includes the launch of effectively Dale of Merchants 3. So, Again, go back and watch my video. There's so much amazing, just mind-bogglingly cool, new, game-changing ideas um, in Dale of Merchants 3. But bringing them all together in one big super collection, awesome. Dale of Merchants collection, cannot wait, number 16. Uh, then, number 15, we have got The Edge of Darkness. This is, interestingly, this is the last game that I ever filmed while we were living in Malta. If you go back and watch my run-through of it, if you look in the background, you can see our entire apartment is completely trashed because I was literally filming a few days before we were leaving. Um, and, uh, and the tricky thing is, because of the time frame we were in, I never actually got a chance to play Edge of Darkness as anything other than a solo game, because Jen had too much going on to actually sit down and play it with me. Now, I thought it was a great solo experience. I believe I did the run-through, uh, demonstrating the solo. And, in fact, I kept the prototype. I carried that prototype with me halfway around the world as we moved from place to place, because I always wanted to get a chance to play it with Jen. But ultimately, I ran out of time, never got a chance to play it. The prototype is gone now. And I know Jen wants to play it, because she loves... Uh, Mystic Veil so much. This Edge of Darkness is effectively the sequel to Mystic Veil. Uh, it's the next game to use the very, very cool card crafting system, where instead of deck building and putting new cards in your deck, you just upgrade the cards that are already in there. Uh, Mystic Veil, by the way, also made my top 10 deck builders of all time. Edge of Darkness is a much bigger, richer game using that same system, because now players competitively are building one communal deck that everybody shares access to. So the deck is full of my cards and your cards, and sometimes I want to use your cards, but then i got to pay you for it. It was really clever, really sharp, an amazing production, and I just can't wait to play the final. Um, and to finally play it with Gen 2, my number 15, Edge of Darkness. Then we go on to number 14, On Tour, which... Um, if it had come out last year, I think it probably would have made my top 10 of the year. I did play it when it was on Kickstarter, and in fact, so did a lot of other people. Because if you go check out my original run-through, which is right here on the Geek page, you can play along with me. Because this is a bingo-style game where you roll dice, everybody take advantage of that dice, trying to um, write on the map of the continental United States the ideal bus tour route. Neat, fun, 
incredibly tense. This is a game full of taking risks and um, you know knowing when to play it safe. And uh, you know nobody knows who's winning until the very very end when everybody reveals. Uh, it's nice for a roll and write. It's fairly thematic. The production looked really really great. At least my prototype did. So I cannot wait to get the final. Will it make my top ten of 2019? I'm not sure, but I already can confirm, and you can confirm too by playing along with me from home. That on tour, my number fourteen is fantastic. So it should be coming soon. Now number thirteen, La Stanza. All right, this is coming from Quind Games, uh, and more importantly, designers uh, Nuno Sentiero and Paulo. Bizarro Soledad, I think is his full name. I don't know why he throws the Bizarro in there, but anyway, Paolo and Nuno have really made a name for themselves over the last few years with games like um, Panamax and Nippon and probably most importantly Madeira. These guys are known for big, heavy, rich, really complex, really meaty, really brain-burny Euros. And Lestanza is coming, folks. It is coming soon. And interestingly, it's coming to Kickstarter just this January. I understand a prototype is on its way to me now so that I'll be able to play it with Jen and film a video for you before the Kickstarter is out. Um, I don't know much about the gameplay. I don't need to know. I don't care. Nuno and Paolo are definitely a design duo who have earned the right to be considered uh, games, their games being high-quality, fun, well-designed um, experiences, sight unseen. Number 13, La Stanza. All righty. And then let's move on to number 12. We're not done with Paolo and Nuno yet, everybody. We've got Artificial Intelligence, which I'm even more excited about. Uh, this one's been in development for a long time. Hopefully this is the year we finally see it. AI was on my list last year as well. And I'm super excited about this. For everything I just said, because Paolo and Nuno are fantastic designers. They make really great stuff. But um, this one is another game set in a far-off post-scarcity world where AI is solving all the problems of mankind and players are just competing to develop the best AIs. I love that theme. I know I respect their gameplay. So our AI just slightly nudges above La, above La Stanza and my most anticipated. But I'm excited about both of them. And actually, I should say, you'll notice if you're reading along with me, they've got a third game potentially coming out this year as well, Brazil. It did not make my anticipated list because as I was looking into it more, it is a game that they come right out and say it takes at least two hours to play. That's probably too long for me and Jen. Considering how big and meaty and heavy their games are, a two-plus-hour game is probably a bit too much. Lestanza and AI promise to be shorter. An hour to 90 minutes for two players. That's why they made the list. But also, if you're a Nuno and Paolo fan, Brazil, in theory, this will be the year that finally hits as well. But now let's move on to number 11, everybody. Um, was it Alubari, a nice cup of tea? Another one that didn't make it last year when it was just called a cup of tea, or a nice cup of tea. But now, it's got, I mean, they had to need it another year so we could get a full title of Alubari. And yeah, very, very excited about this because this is the heir apparent. This is the sequel to Snowdonia. Tony Boydell's wonderful um, worker placement game. One of the best worker placement games of all time. It is sitting in my top 10 worker placements of all time. This takes that game and adds so much new content by moving it to a, a different continent and adding a whole bunch of new extra Euro stuff to manage while you are still placing workers to build rail lines. Uh, before it was to get over Welsh mountains in Snowdonia, the Snowdonia mountains. Now it is to be able to set up supply lines for your burgeoning uh Empire in, was it, uh, 19th century India. Yeah, that's right. So, very stoked for this. 
Uh, I've been waiting for this one for a long time. If you've never played it, trust me, folks, you owe it to check out Snowdonia. But will a nice cup of tea replace it? Time will tell. Hopefully, this year will tell. But now, let's move on to the main event, folks. The top 10. Starting with Mr. Vita Lasarda's no doubt, upcoming masterpiece on Mars. It's funny, I was saying earlier that, um, you know, what was it, uh, Roman Roll, or, yeah, just kind of missed the uh, the big wave of, oh, what do you call it, Roland writes, Vital uh, Lasarda, who is maybe the current reigning king of big, meaty, complex, and incredibly richly integrated thematic content Euro-style games. That was a very long-winded way to say that he makes really awesome deep games where theme is paramount. These games are so complex because they model so much of the subject matter. You know, I'm talking Vinos, I'm talking Gallers, I'm talking Autobahn. Game after game after game from Vital have just been absolutely barn burners. Brilliant. And, like I was saying, uh... Vital, it's taken him a long time to get this done. He might have missed uh, it because a couple of years ago, when everybody was bringing out, you know, there was that big rush of Mars-themed games, and you know, and currently the uh, the the top one to beat is terraforming Mars. It it is at the top. Will on Mars defeat it? I'm pretty sure it will for me and Jen, um, because we love his work so much, and I cannot wait to give this a go, because I've always been totally blown away by everything Vital has done. And I suspect that will be true for number 10 on Mars. But then, let's move on to number 9. Comanauts. Mmm! Last year in my top 10 was a game called Stuffed Fables. And sadly, Stuffed Fables when we finally got to play it, didn't live up to what I'd hoped. Not because it wasn't a really beautifully produced game, very smartly designed, really clever, innovative stuff, but it, at the end of the day, I had hoped that it would be a compelling experience for adults because it was designed for young children, uh, or, or for parents to play with, with young children, with, with their kids. And I think for that, it's gorgeous. If I had kids, I would be all over Stuff Fables and playing it with the kids all the time. I don't have kids. I just have my wife I play games with, and for us it was too light. Comanauts promises to take the gameplay, the uh, overall structure of a storybook that you play through, where every time you turn a page and come to a new map, new rules um, to you know further expand and surprise. Are, are, you know, it promises all the stuff, fable stuff, but in a game designed for adults. I guess the subject matter is um, instead of going into a dreamscape, a, a magical dreamland like stuff fables, now we are scientists, literally Inception style, diving into someone's dream to bring them out of a coma. Hence, we are coma knots. And I couldn't be more excited uh, because hopefully this will give us what we were hoping for from stuff fables. We were just not the target audience for that, but we are the target audience here. Very, very excited. Um, uh, Jerry, the designer, don't let me down, man. I'm so excited for number nine, Comanauts. But then, moving on to number eight. Oh, folks, it's Wingspan. Now, I'm cheating by putting this on here, because there it is, right there on my shelf right now. I am going to be putting my actual run-through for Wingspan up tomorrow, because there's an embargo. I can't actually post about this until um, January 2nd. And of course, I'm putting this up on January 1st. So, spoiler alert for that video that's coming tomorrow. This is 
the bee's knees. As I say right here on the list, if this had come out in 2018, it would have made my number four of the year. It's so good. And I didn't expect to like this at all. And I said, I know there's a lot of people out there like me who are like, ah, a game about making a bird sanctuary. Pass, not interested. I'll be honest, I wasn't interested either. Give it a give it a look though, folks, because the engine building gameplay, the combinatorial terraforming Mars style experience here is um, is uh, fantastic. And for my money, it is superior to terraforming Mars. For me, Wingspan is a terraforming Mars killer. It's that good, and I think it is going to blow up big for Stonemaier Games and first time designer. Elizabeth Hargrave, Elizabeth, congratulations. Oh my gosh, you so knocked it out of the park. Amazing game. Um, and I, so should it be on my anticipated list? Well, I'm trying to pretend I haven't played it. I'm trying to pretend I don't own it. Um, certainly this is a list representing what I'd be excited about if I didn't have access to any of these games, because sometimes I do. Uh, and, and this one deserves to be this high at number eight, Wingspan. Let's go on to number seven, another game I've already played. Project Elite. But this is the second edition of Project Elite. Um, and I'm just so happy this exists because it um, it puts a wonderful happy ending on a very rough and rocky story. A few years ago, Artipia Games, uh, a really great publisher out of uh, Greece, put out Project Elite and it was a brilliant design marred by endless horrible delays and production gaffes um, that really put kind of a sour note on the whole project. Uh, so many of the Kickstarter backers really got kind of aggressively angry, so much so that the, uh, the original developers of Project Elite were so demoralized, they said, okay, that's it, we're just getting this done, and then we're never thinking about it again. And so Project Elite promptly disappeared. No second printings, no third printings, only people who, uh, very few lucky people ever got to play it. And that's a shame, because it is... Um, I'm not sure if I could say it is better than Escape Curse of the Temple, but it's right up there. It is such an amazing, cooperative, real-time, dice-rolling experience. No game comes closer to capturing the pure, frenetic joy of a video game, of a, like a first-person shooter like Doom, than Project Elite. Absolutely phenomenal. You can go watch my original run-through to find out why, and, uh, you know, and I demonstrate just how amazing it is. So anyway, it's been gone forever. Everybody assumed it would never come again, but Cool Mini or Not has stepped in, partnered with Artipia, given it a total revamp. The rules have been tweaked, new, much better looking minis, and it's finally coming next year. And that's why I'm saying I'm so happy that this is um, this has made it. I don't. I got. I knew this was coming. I got rid of my first edition. I cannot wait for the second edition of this wonderful, wonderful game that everybody should try at some point. My number seven most anticipated game, Project Elite. Then let's go on to number six, Sleeping Gods. This is the one game that has no art that didn't get relegated down to the bottom of the list in the you know the twenty to twenty five range. Why? Because I'm not worried about the art here. Once again, we have uh, designer artist Ryan Lockett. I know the game is going to be a work of stunning art. I know I will be moved by the majesty and joy of the visuals that he will present, just like I am in every one of his games. And at this point, I totally trust Ryan to really dazzle me with clever, fun, original gameplay as well. Now, I have heard that Sleeping Gods, which is only playable solo or two players cooperatively, no higher player counts, that this might be a Seventh Continent killer. 
I don't know if that's true. I don't need to know on some level. I don't care. All I know is it's going to be amazing uh, because this is Ryan's... Is this his third storybook game after Above and Below? And then... Um, um, uh, near and far. So he has been spending years now practicing, learning, honing his narrative craft. I suspect this is going to be one of the best, um, you know, storybook games that's ever come out so far. That's why it's so high. I, you know, I'm putting it up on a pedestal, but so far Ryan hasn't let me down. That's why we got at number six, Sleeping Gods. Wow. If that's only number six, what else can there be? Let's keep going to number five, folks. Okay. Aeon's End Legacy. Now, this is another one where I'm kind of cheating because I've already played all the way through the entire Legacy campaign of Aeon's End Legacy when it was on Kickstarter just about a year ago. I think we were playing it in January last year. Maybe it was February. I don't really quite remember for certain. All I, I can say, though, as I said at the time, it was amazing. Not only is... I mean, Aeon's End is already a phenomenal fantasy cooperative uh, adventure game. Uh, just about the best one on the market. If Shadowrun didn't exist, Aeon's End would be top dog. But taking the core gameplay there and working in a very cool, very clever, really neat ideas that push the idea of legacy gameplay forward, adding a legacy campaign to the Aeon's End formula was just about pitch perfection. Jen and I loved it to pieces. I am super anticipating this, though, because unlike Wingspan, all I have for that was a prototype. I finished it. I cannot wait to get a final commercial release so we can play through the campaign again and experience all the cool moments and all the really interesting ways that the legacy is implemented in my number five, Aeon's End Legacy. All right. I know this one is good, so it made it so high. But let's move on to number four, something even higher. Clank Legacy Acquisitions Incorporated. Clank is another brilliant deck builder. Absolutely phenomenal, wonderful, just such a blast, such a joy to play. Um, absolutely lovely. You can go back and watch my run-throughs for why. So you can imagine why, considering how amazing Aeon's End Legacy turned out to be by... Um, you know, implementing within the confines of a deck builder, legacy style, permanent change setting stuff. I got to assume great, great things for Clank Legacy as well. And another interesting thing, apparently, I don't know this personally, but Acquisitions Incorporated is some kind of thing to do with Penny Arcade, you know, the mega popular, successful online uh, comic strip series about video games. And apparently Penny Arcade is involved with the development this of this. What does that mean? I don't know. It's just kind of an interesting little side twist. I'm here for the Legacy Deck Builder gameplay. I'm here to put stickers all over cards, all over maps, all over characters. I'm here to make permanent changes and build a legacy in my number four, Clank Legacy Acquisitions Incorporated. But now let's move on to number three. Machi Koro Legacy. Three Legacy games in a row, folks. Three of them. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. This is amazing. And I should say, Machi Koro, I've never done a run-through for it because, if I'm honest, Jen and I didn't like it at all. We thought it was almost a borderline bad game. It was certainly a terrible experience for us. And there have been so many other games, or several games anyway, that have come out post-Machi Koro that do that core roll a die, everybody tries to fire off um, stuff in their tableau formula so much better. that Machi Koro is of zero interest to me, even though it's gotten some expansions and it was like a really big hit for a while. But one thing I can say about Machi Koro is 
Oh man, it would be hard to imagine an overall structure for gameplay that is better suited for legacy style gameplay. So I'm super excited and I'm hoping the developers have taken the years since the first one came out and learned lessons from the other developers. I'm talking about your Valerias, I'm talking about your space bases, uh, and applied it to Machi Karo. I expect good, good things from here. Three legacy games this year. I'm so excited. Uh, let's move on though to number two. And surprisingly, this is not a legacy game. This is Glenmore 2 Chronicles. Now, Glenmore is one of the best tile-end games of all time. It might be the best. I'd have to go back and look at rank.rado.com. I'm off the top of my head. Oh no, no, no. I think Santa Maria has eclipsed it. So if I recall correctly, from my and Jen's and my money, Glenmore is the second best tile-end game of all time. Already. And unfortunately, Glenmore, as great as it is, has always suffered from really kind of poor... I mean, the German version that came out was fine. The English version had typos and all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's been out of print for a while. It's hard to find. And this year, it's coming back. And it is coming back big. With a sequel that allows you to still have the core gameplay from the original, but includes eight different modules that you can turn on or off in any combination you like to add so much gameplay to what was already a nigh-infinitely replayable game. Um, Matthias Kramer, the designer of Glenmore, is one of my top ten designers of all time. I mean, so many amazing things he's done. Glenmore being the crown jewel. And for him to come back and revisit it, I cannot wait to see what brilliance he is going to give us. That's why it's my number two. A non-legacy game eclipsing legacy games. That means it's a big deal. Glenmore 2 Chronicles. And now, there's one more, folks. And spoiler alert... It's not a legacy game. Dun, dun, dun. For folks who are wondering, hey, what about Pandemic Legacy Season 3? Well, you know what? It has not been officially announced. The publishers have not put it on BoardGameGeek. It, it has been long rumored to be coming out this year. If it does, you better believe retroactively it would be my number one most anticipated game. But it doesn't exist as far as I'm concerned if it's not on BoardGameGeek, which is why my number one most anticipated game for 2019 at this point is... Black Angel, which also was on my most anticipated list last year. So I've been waiting for this for quite a while. A lot of people have been waiting for this quite a while. As I say right there in the text, a lot of people have been waiting since 2011 for this game. Because this is the first time Sebastian Dujardin, uh, Javier George, and um, oh, Orban. Oh no, I can't remember your name! Because Orban is uh, not as prolific as the other two. I want to say Matthew Orban. I know that's wrong. Mark Orban? Elaine Orban? Let's look it up. Uh, Elaine! I got it! Before it came up, I said Elaine! I, I remembered your name, Elaine! Anyway, um, uh, Dujardin, George, and um, Orban are together once more. This is the team that brought us Trois, which is a permanent fixture in my top 10 games of all time, and I know I'm not alone. A lot of people consider it one of the greatest Euros of all time, with very good reason. It is so brilliant. And this is the first time that these three have gotten together. Uh, you know, they did Trois, which was amazing. And then they did uh, kind of a, an offshoot. Trois, the card game. Uh, Tourne, which was a brilliant, brilliant game, too. Doesn't get near as much love as it should. But finally, what are we talking about here? Eight years! We've been waiting for these guys to get back together, for the band to get back together with their you know, self-publishing arm Pearl. They've been bought by Asmodee, but I can only assume that means no compromises on the gameplay, but even greater production quality. Although Pearl has always been amazing designs, amazing production quality. 
It's my number one game of the year, and honestly, I know nothing about the game. I don't need to know anything about the game. It's about space colonization. It looks like it's got a really great presentation and wonderful little pieces from this one um, artist rendering. Who cares? The, the, the gang is back together. The band is back together. Uh, and Black Angel, this is the year, folks. This is the year we finally get it. And it's my number one most anticipated game of 2019. And that's it, folks. That is the rundown of this geek list. But like I said, there's more coming. I am too tired now to go right into the podcast. So I'll record sometime over the next couple of days uh, my podcast uh, where I will talk about pages two, three, and four. And um, yeah, that's it. Otherwise, very, very exciting. Those are 25 amazing games. Those are 10 bonkers um, you know, once in a, or not once in a lifetime, but you know, I mean, several of these things have been, we've been waiting years and years and years. 2019 is shaping up to be something absolutely incredible. Even if only half of these things come out, uh, 2019 should be through the roof bonkers, awesome for board gaming. And that's why I'm so excited. Are you excited, folks? I hope so. Um, but anyway, that's it for now. And like I said, as always, Go on ahead and subscribe to the Geek List or subscribe to the podcast, which you can now listen to on your iPhone or whatever podcast platform you do. Or I now po post all my podcast episodes to YouTube as well. So if you just subscribe to me on YouTube, you'll be able to hear everything throughout the year as I learn about more cool, exciting games of interest. So that's it, folks. Thanks very much for watching. Have a very nice day and a very nice year. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. <laughs>